Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back and we are here to break down everything that went down this week across SmackDown and Raw. WWE still a long ways away from its next premium live event. Extreme Rules, the world of professional wrestling remains on fire in both great and terrible ways. And we have spent much of the last couple weeks discussing exactly that. So we have a ton to talk about on today's show. And I'll tell you straight up off the top, it has not been uh, the best week for your boy, the Silver King. I think I said on our last show, uh, the AEW and NXT show last week, I was so excited to get four days off to not have to podcast after we went crazy with all of those episodes during a triple week of two WWE Premium Live events, one, of course, being NXT and an AEW pay-per-view all out. What I did not anticipate was the fallout from the press conference following AEW all out, which really just turned our week on a nose. But the great news about that is last week's episodes, our Tuesday and Thursday normal shows, were the most listened to regular episodes, non-instant analysis, non-interview, not ultimate previews, but our regular weekly episodes, the two most listened to for a Tuesday WWE show and a Thursday uh, AEW and NXT show in the history of this podcast. And I appreciate all of you who have helped us make that happen, not just by listening yourselves, but of course, the word of mouth, spreading things around, telling your friends and family. I see people tweeting the episode to others, telling them to listen, especially uh, last week's show, the WWE episode where we also talked about the AEW All Out Media Scrum. I saw you guys uh, push that along and share that. And the reviews from that episode, I got to say, I don't mean the five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. I'm talking about the tweets, the DMs, the things that I saw written about this show. Some of the best podcasting I've ever heard, quote unquote, banger episode, great listen, stayed at the gym an extra hour just to hear this, had me dying on the way to work, the takes were fire, rare form, everything you guys said was dead eye, perfectly said, five-star rant. I think the last one was for me. I'll bury Horowitz. I'll take it. I loved that episode. I'm so appreciative of you all for listening to Vintage Chris Vanini, and I break all of that down. I would be remiss, though, if I began this episode without a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. The praise on Twitter is fantastic, but what really gets the job done is leaving those five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and writing, fully writing, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, letting everyone know how much you love the show, why they should listen, and why they should subscribe. As always, every time we get new five-star reviews, we read them right here on the podcast, and that is what we are doing today. Simply the best wrestling podcast, five stars from Shibby372. Nothing close to this as far as wrestling podcasts go. Extremely informational and in-depth analysis makes us a much, much listen, you wrote. A must listen, I think is what you meant. For any wrestling fan of WWE and AEW, I may not agree with these two all the time, but a terrific listen. Been listening now for close to a year. Thank you so much for joining us, Shibby. Also, insightful and enjoyable audio experience. Five stars from Hart Martin. 
This podcast is an awesome listen. When you want your pro wrestling, it's not clickbait. It's just analysis and previews delivered in a great, fun way. Also, it's a podcast that backs up what they say they want when it comes to engagement. You reach out, they listen and respond. It really is all about the five. Definitely recommend. Two great reviews. Thank you, Hart Martin, Shibby. Very much appreciate it. Uh, I would also be remiss, though. I, I said the Apple podcast reviews and the five-star ratings on Apple and, and Spotify are both important, but we love getting your feedback. And yes, we do love uh, reading your DM slides and your tweets on the air and getting uh, the reviews in you know real time from what you think while you're listening to the episode on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast. So do not forget to follow us there. Uh, you can reach out to us. We do respond as frequently as we can, not to everyone all the time, but as much as we can. And when it makes sense, we do uh, read your questions, your DM slides, uh, your comments on the air to help enhance our show. You can get all that by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, I know that was a long intro. We had, I had a lot to say uh, as this show got started, mostly because I'm excited to get back into this professional wrestling mindset after, like I said, four or five days of pretty much being out of it. Um, I'll tell you, it just, it's not been a great week. Uh, for some reason, uh, at this age now, my body's falling apart. So, you know, one day something hurts, the next day something else hurts. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm getting washed. I'm not quite, quite fully washed yet. I do feel like that is coming down the road. But what was fully washed this week was my vehicle. Uh, because, Oof. you know, it's one thing, Chris, when your car breaks down on the side of the road or in a parking lot or whatever the case might be, okay? I was in a Trader Joe's parking lot, which anyone who has ever been to a Trader Joe's knows they are the worst parking lots ever designed and created. Yes. For some reason, even though every Trader Joe's shopping center is different, they're all equally awful. Uh, but I was in a Trader Joe's shopping center in my car with my dog. Uh, car wouldn't start and it was downpouring rain and it was Ooh. hot and muggy because it's guess what? I live in South Florida. So it was the worst case scenario for a car getting stuck. I had just got items uh, you know, that I had just shopped. I ran in for like three things, but all of them were like, dairy. So of course they're going to go bad in the car. It was a worst case scenario. And the end of the day, right? $2,000 bill on my car, a car that Ooh. I meant to turn in or, or not turn in a uh, sell and replace three years ago before the pandemic. But then I decided, Hey, I'm not driving anywhere. So why am I going to sell my car right now? It doesn't make any sense. And it just cost me $2,000. So that was my week. Uh, how about your, how did yours go? That that's tough. My, uh, my yeah. wife's my wife's car has gone through similar. We had to take it in for like three different things in like a two month span um, over the last couple of months. So uh, with you on that cars, they're they're uh, they're tough. But I got to say, like, you know, two weeks ago, we had the opening of college football around the biggest wrestling weekend of the year. Five mm -hmm. straight days of college football, along with all those wrestling shows. Uh, we got most of college football put into one weekend here, but it was a crazy day on Saturday. The NFL starting up. Uh, our real football lives conflicting with wrestling here. It's been a lot, but we, 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 I'm very happy with everything we put together last week. I thought we did a great job on it. It was great to hear the response from all of you. So appreciate that. It's a big story, man. Like people who don't huge follow wrestling are asking what the CM Punk thing is about and stuff like that. And, and so it's just, it's been a lot uh, on top of all the reviews and comments we got i got a twitter follow from tony khan over the weekend so i don't know if he's a listener of the show or what but if you are <laughs> listening tony uh i know you're a busy man but uh appreciate you 
maybe or maybe not uh, listening. But um, hey, if if Tony's listening, you know, fantastic, right? Um, yeah, you know, we've been we've been praiseworthy and we've been critical where I think it's yes. uh, important both like we've ways. Been fair. Fair. That that is that is the way I like to look at it. We are fair, both in criticism yeah, and, so and in praise. It's been um, a lot. And if you're wondering why we have a long intro that's not all about wrestling here, it's because frankly, there's not a major story to open with on this show. And I'll no. let you take it from here. Yeah, we don't really have like a singular main event topic like we normally do in WWE, mostly because look, we're coming out of Clash of the Castle and the world champion was not on TV and neither of the women's champions are involved in a storyline that would allow those titles to take precedent. There's also not a single major storyline on either show that is that notably interesting. It doesn't mean that the TV is bad or the creative is bad. It's just nothing really stood out to that degree. But, you know, we do, speaking of criticism and praise, we spend a lot of time on this podcast um, criticizing WWE creative, AEW creative. But if you guys either watched the game or you want to go after this podcast and look at highlights from the Denver Broncos game last night, that is the definition (laughs) of nonsensical booking. The way that game final uh, uh, wrapped up. The, the final like two minutes of that game. I've never seen worse coaching in my entire life. Like it, it's they, as they, bad they as it really, gets. Yeah. Really botched, to... really botched the finish there. It's like they, they forgot what the spot was and uh, oof, not good. It just as nonsensical as it gets. So uh, I don't know that anything, honestly, that we've talked about in WWE or AEW this year has been as bad as the ending of Monday Night Football uh, for week one. But yes, you are right. Two weeks ago uh, with college football, and three special events in one week crushed you and I, I think me in particular. Uh, this week with NFL starting, also a little rough, but hey, we're getting into the groove. This is the season, right? It's exciting. We both love football. We got four or five months of it coming up. We're going to go balls to the wall with that. We're going to keep going balls to the wall with this. And we have, are, of course, excited to bring you another WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Before we get into everything, the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I do have topics for us in the main event, they're just not one overarching topic like usual. I just wanted to say, like, watching Raw and SmackDown, the women's booking right now, it remains the low point of the Triple H era through whatever it's been, four, six weeks. And it's not just across both shows, but it's across all three divisions, meaning the main event SmackDown division, the main event Raw division, and the women's tag team championship division. This was probably the worst week of women's booking to this point, I would say. And when you look at everything WWE has to offer, the women's wrestling overall division is super important to the present and the future of the company. You would also say, well, you know, maybe the women's booking is down, but the tag team division's on fire. It's not. It's really not. It's dead in the water right now, despite the fact that WWE, because of Triple H, actually has more tag teams right now than it's had probably in like two years in terms of active tag teams who could theoretically be in a title picture. Yet there's one set of championships. They haven't been defended in a while. And it seems like we'll talk about this later. The next team that's going to get a chance against them is going to be a retread. So I just, I know that Triple H isn't going to fix everything overnight, right? I think we're relatively pleased with what's happening in the main event. We're very pleased with what's going down in the mid card for the men, the elevation of the intercontinental title and the United States championship storylines that we've seen across both of those divisions. But that's like half the show, the other half right now. I'm not saying that the show to show booking is bad or the creative is bad. I think if it's entertaining, it's entertaining. If it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. If it's ugly, it's ugly. And we call that out. 
But you look at the women in particular, Chris, and I just I watched Raw and SmackDown this week and I was just like, what are they doing here? None of this is exciting. None of it's interesting. And on top of that, the wrestling hasn't been very good, which for a Triple H booked product is shocking. Yeah, so of all, right, you said, of all things, the women's division you expect would get maybe the biggest boost from Triple H. I mean, his work in NXT is what brought women's wrestling to where it is, to the point where we can complain that there's not enough going on because they set that right. bar so high. Or they, they raised our level of expectation. He yeah. did, specifically. Yeah, yes. yeah. And, and so, look, they've gotten a lot of people involved. It, it, it's not like, oh, there's only like, a title feud with one per with two people going on. And that's all we're getting. We're getting a lot of people involved in a lot of different things. Like there is some effort there, but the stories being told within that are just kind of non-existent. And it, it, it starts with to me, Bianca Belair, not really having to challenge her for months now, since, since she, uh, since what SummerSlam really, she's not really done anything. And that's right. kind of been surprising um, to to go with the six women tag at Clash of the Castle, I get it, but they I was fine with booked, that booking. Yeah, they booked that. that they booked that like the almost the day after SummerSlam. So like, mm -hmm. uh, it it's just it's been a while since we've kind of had Bianca in something. She's kind of got some stuff going on now. She has this open challenge, which we'll get to. And uh, yeah, I think it starts with the two titles. Liv being in a weird spot, being overshadowed by Ronda Rousey. So um, I, I think it's it's not necessarily that they're not thinking about the women. It's just that the story, stories being told are not uh, super clear. Right. Well, we're not saying it's AEW women's booking where it's one match, right. you get six, six right. to eight minutes, and it, many times it doesn't even involve anyone that matters, right? It's, it's just like a, a third-party person, an independent wrestler that comes in so someone else can beat them. Or, you know, it's a low-card woman and an upper-card woman, and you know who's going to win, and nothing happens. There's no developments. There's no promos. Nothing like that. We're not saying it's that. But it's not the quality of WWE women's booking that we've already seen not under Triple H on the main roster, not to mention the extremely high quality of women's booking that we saw specifically under Triple H in NXT. And for it to be neither of those, but kind of in some ways, I'm not saying worse, but on the lower end of the spectrum of what that division is capable of. And yes, I know there are still a lot of women, notable women who are not healthy or not active right now for one reason or another, but it's really not an excuse for the poor level of booking that we're, that we're seeing. And you know what, Chris, like while we're having this conversation, I'm kind of realizing this probably could have been the main event. We could have talked about this and all the <laughs> women's stuff and just done that together. But that's not how I set up the show. That's not what my rundown looks like. So that is not uh, what we're going to do today. We are going to slide into the main event. Then we are going to get to the good, the bad and the ugly. And we are going to talk about everything that happened over this past week and a little bit before too. In the world of WWE, we start, as I said, by sliding into the main event. And really, the biggest topic that I have coming out of last week, you know, we don't talk ratings on this show. I don't really get into it because week to week, do they matter? I mean, to some degree, but there are so many shows and there are so many wrestling journalists out there that they dive into the numbers and the, the demo and you know, how's it look year over year and week over week? And did this mat, what, what quarter hour pulled the best? I hate getting into the minutia of the entire thing. However, SmackDown on Friday night pulled an enormous rating. Okay. To the point that it was the highest total viewership at 2.37 million 
since September 10th, 2021, so a year ago, and the second highest total viewership in 21 months, nearly two years. It also had the highest demo since July. That doesn't really mean as much. But to put that in further context, that July 22nd episode that I was just referencing there, that had Roman Reigns defending his championships against Riddle. Number one, Reigns rarely defends the titles and he never defends them on TV. So that was the only demo recently that beat what we got on this past Friday. It was a good show. I wouldn't say SmackDown was great or extremely notable by any means, but it does bring us back to one topic that we've covered pretty frequently here on Getting Over. And that is our belief, you and I, both separately and together, that WWE needs to split up the world championships, the WWE and the universal title. We've talked about Raw not having a champion, how that show doesn't flow as well, a lack of main event opportunities for wrestlers because of that. But what we've never really done is look at it in the context of Roman Reigns' championship run. Because what's indisputable is that ratings are continuing to go up counter to the rest of television that is having ratings decline. For WWE, their ratings are going up with Reigns as champion, with Raw not having a world champion whoever shows up on the program. Now, this past Monday that we're going to be talking about, Monday Night Football and the Emmys are both going to eat into Raw's rating. So it's going to be way down from last week and probably from the last few weeks. But that was going to happen no matter who is champion. There was a long time in WWE, Chris, where the world titles changed hands constantly. I mean, it could be two months, four months, six months, whatever the case, but there was never really a defined champion. It's very tough, in my opinion, for people to argue that the WWE slash Universal Championship, the world title in WWE, means more now than it has in, what, a decade? Maybe more? It's tough to argue against that comment is what I'm saying. We know the Intercontinental and the US titles are being reestablished. It took Triple H taking over for that to happen. But... This world championship build of Roman Reigns and the title simultaneously, that preceded him. He's continuing it. And it really does make you wonder whether it's analytics or whatever WWE seeing on the back end, merchandise sales, interest in the company, searches for Roman Reigns name, whatever the case, if they said, you know what, we have struck lightning in a bottle here with Roman Reigns. And yeah, some people in the IWC are getting tired of it. Critics like you and I are saying, oh, wow, why couldn't you give at least one title to Drew McIntyre? Why didn't you change them here? Why didn't you do this? It's going on. I've said for months now, WWE ruined its main event title situation at day one when they made that decision. And then again at WrestleMania when they merged the titles. But if money is going up and ratings are going up and interest is going up and they're getting nine, 10,000 people in a small town or a big town, I guess this week was Portland, a big town for for Raw. And they're being able to put eight, nine, ten thousand for two TV tapings a week, every week for the last month. Then what the fuck do we know, right? Like if business is up, maybe what they're doing with Roman Reigns, not just best for business, maybe it is best for the WWE product and the world championships as a whole. I think from a creative standpoint, you and I kind of look at it and say, you know, we'd like Raw to be a little bit more interesting. We'd like there to be a couple more titles for people to go after and, and feel more important. But 
what's most important is WWE succeeding in WWE's eyes. And if they see that they're doing that with Roman Reigns as champion, it's kind of tough to argue at this point. I think there's two different ways to look at this. One is that something we've said for people have said for a decade now is that WWE is making money hand over fist. So they don't need to make big changes because it's working enough. I, I, and I think that's true and it continues to be true. Um, so, yes, with Roman Reigns as champion, ratings have been okay, fine, and, and getting a little bit better since Triple H took over, I think. Um, so m- maybe they don't need to, to change because, yes, it is going up or at least staying steady at a time when most of television. No, is, I, is going again, down. I literally, I li- it literally just explained they had the highest viewership for SmackDown in right. a year and the second highest in 21 months, by the way, right. without but, Roman Reigns on the show. He wasn't even right. there for it. But I, but why well, I've got the full chart up here in front of me, and I, and I want to note that from right after WrestleMania up until basically the Vince scandal hit, mm-hmm. uh, the viewership was below two million. Yes, you know, for 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 about a month there, and and so like it had, it does fluctuate a little bit. Raw has kind of steadily been going up almost year over year now. It, it's Raw's been a little bit different, but I I think it's two different things to say that things are going well. They don't need to change it. And it could be better. I mean, we can't prove it could be better because it hasn't happened. And we're just, you know, we're not the TV experts. Like you said, they, they have they have <laughs> the information that kind of shows what it is. I do think SmackDown was probably up this week because people wanted to see the fallout from an incredible clash at the castle with 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 an incredible main event with a with a cliffhanger at the end and, and, and stuff like that. So that was, I, I'm sure, certainly a factor as well. But yeah. Things are going well for WWE ratings wise. Things are also going well for AW ratings wise. Um, and, and so, yeah, like I get why they haven't split the titles, taken it off Roman or whatever. But I, I, I still think like, imagine if you did have a world champion on TV more frequently, like I think the viewers could be more. Maybe they won't. Maybe like, again, I don't know. I just, I feel like they could be. And you see something like the Monday Night Raw we got last night, Monday night, mm-hmm. that just lacked juice. And I, it, it, Raw has lacked juice for a while now. And yet, its ratings have gone up since WrestleMania. So maybe we don't need to do that. Yeah, it's really two different sides of the coin, right? It's on one hand, you're kind of saying, well, Roman Reigns, and I'm not just talking about from a business standpoint, although I did mention that frequently in what I just discussed. But Roman Reigns is bigger than he's ever been individually. Mm-hmm. The world championship, the title, um, even though it's too technically right now, in WWE, seems to be more elevated and more prestigious than it's been. It's, it means more, it feels like, than it has. And I don't just mean in like the last two or three years. I'm talking about like a decade, I, it, maybe even longer I, yeah. than that. I like do it think actually matters. That when when it, this title changes, when this title changes, whoever it is, Cody Rhodes, Johnny Gargano three years from now, you know, uh, Drew McIntyre, Kevin Owens. When this changes, it is going to be a monumental moment. Could it be bigger one way than the other? Sure. But it right now, the championship and the champion who is holding it, both are more elevated and feel more important than they have in a long, long time. And our criticisms of WWE, when we started this podcast, and certainly when, when I talked about wrestling beforehand, 
was that the world titles didn't mean shit in WWE. They just didn't. And even less, the Intercontinental title and US title. So like we're complaining about the women, uh, the tag teams I mentioned earlier, but the top three titles in the company, and I don't mean to dismiss the women's titles, but the, the Intercontinental is an historic title. And for a lot of fans, a subsection, especially those who like WCW, the US title is historic as well. Those three titles or, or pictures, title pictures, if you will, they all feel, feel more important and more prestigious than they have in a really long time. So I'm just looking at it from a different perspective of the way mm-hmm. we normally uh, criticize it, both positively and negatively, constructively. Yep. It's, you know, we always look at, well, we'd love to see this person get the title. We'd love to see this moment. We'd love to see that. But what we've also talked about at different times, you know, we're talking years ago, a year or two years ago, is how these titles really didn't mean much. And WWE really needs to figure out how to make them more important. Well, guess what? They have. So, there, there, and again, there's almost like three different aspects to this. One, should Roman be or not be the champion? Clearly, Roman as champion works. It means as much as, as it ever has. The other part of it is there's only one champion now. Like, the, the, it, part of that the reason help. it feels yeah. so important is because there's one. There's one top guy. And that's now, it, 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 it's been many many years since that was the case so that is another factor i think we criticize unifying the titles just in the context of the storytelling that they're trying to do if they want five hours of tv every week if they want to give roman one belt and say we got one champ like that that's fine him continuing to have two belts makes you feel like it could be split up at some point we don't know I'm just saying that like, that's no, no, you're right. Mind. No, no, no. You're, you're a thousand percent right. But the other issue isn't, it isn't so much having one title and unifying it. The issue is that the champion, it skips one of the two this, shows every yes. week this, and, is, this, and is rarely this. on the show that he's actually on. So yes, this was my third, this Al is my yeah. third point. That okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to step point. on you. <laughs> yeah. the third, the third, you've got, should Roman be or not be the champion? That's one factor. You've got, should it be one title or two? One title has made it better. But the third is he's barely on TV. Right. Like you could have Roman be the champion. There's one champion, but he's on TV every week. Like that's where it's kind of like three different kind of factors going on here. I think it would be a bigger deal if Roman was on TV almost every week. There's there's eight shows a month, right? Most 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 months have four weeks, right? Four Mondays and four Fridays. If he was on five of eight shows every month and that like two Raws and three Smackdowns, let's say. We wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be complaining about it, or I wouldn't have been complaining about it yes. to the same level that I am now. Because if he's on a Raw, great, he's on a Raw. If he's on a SmackDown, great. If he's on Raw one week and not on SmackDown, or he's on SmackDown one week and not on Raw, that's okay because he was on the other show. Yep. yep. And you, as a viewer, you want to see Roman Reigns. So you're watching both shows because you don't necessarily know when he's going to be on, which one he's going to be on unless it's advertised, right? So I don't, you know, we did criticize the decision to merge the titles or to unify the titles at least temporarily. But it was also within the context of a champion who is not showing up. And now given there's an extreme rules pay-per-view coming up and not a stadium show, guess what? Roman Reigns is not going to be on TV, perhaps for the entire month, at least for a number of weeks. And that is a huge frustration. So I just did feel like it was, hey, look, you know, we've given all this criticism, but we really haven't looked at the other side of the coin. And when you get a rating like SmackDown did on Friday, and then you act, you actively take a look at the way Roman Reigns has been built and the prestige that these titles now hold. It's hard to argue that those are not positives, 
even in the midst of a lot of negatives or at least criticisms from us, things that we would do differently. Yes. Tribal Chief Roman Reigns is one of my favorite wrestling characters of all time. It's great. I have loved this for two years now. It's everything we ever wanted from Roman Reigns, especially during the Thunderdome era. He was incredible. I want it, but I want to see him more. Because I love him yeah. so much, it's frustrating to not see him because they've done such an incredible job with him. And so that's where my biggest frustration is like when he shows up on a SmackDown, he's like, oh, yeah, like I forgot, like this guy freaking rules, man. I'd love to see this more. <laughs> so it's like, well, that was the cool that, thing. That's my whole thing. Even during the pandemic, like so he wouldn't even be in front of the Thunderdome or like in the ring. Right. But we would still get him every show. And mm-hmm. there was a yep. storyline that was really deep. And moving backstage with Jay and then eventually Jimmy and, and the Kevin Owens storyline. So you're, you have something to chew on every week of this guy that you're like, wow, I have not really seen a heel character like this in a really long time. And yeah. now, instead of only seeing him backstage or then maybe taping something right to show up the next week, there's weeks where we don't see him at all. And people are just talking about how great Roman Reigns is even while he's not there. So it's it's almost frustrating because we like it so much that we want to see him. The titles are so prestigious. We want to see them. Yet we're not getting it. So that's really where we look. We, you know, I wanted to mention the positives of this entire thing because they are. And I do feel like we've overlooked both of those long term on the show. We haven't ever mentioned it. But then you put them in context and you're like, well, that's why we criticize it, because they are so great and we don't see it frequently enough. And that's. a problem. Yeah. All right. A couple more things here in this main event. We'll call it section of the show. I'm, I'm going to call it the clearing out the notebook section. Uh, of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Uh, Pat McAfee is going to be taking a break from SmackDown to work with ESPN's College Game Day. Uh, McAfee was very complimentary of WWE, allowing him to basically go back on his brand new contract that he just signed, I think, in July and take like four months a year off to go work on Game Day, a rival network, by the way, for Fox, ESPN, uh, instead of SmackDown alongside Michael Cole. Suffice to say, Chris, it's a massive disappointment. I mean, It's great for Pat. It sucks for us as viewers. I watched game day on Saturday as I do every Saturday. And like, was he good? Yeah, Pat's great. He just is. He's great at everything he does. Was he better on game day or was he needed on game day compared to how much he's needed on SmackDown? No, I I don't think so. I think he makes a greater difference every Friday night on SmackDown than he does as another talking head who just happens to be a little bit more crass and a little bit funnier than the other guys on game day. And what's making it even worse for WWE is they had a chance to do something unique, right? Bring in Mick Foley or ask Renee Paquette to come back or, hey, Wade Barrett, you're doing a really good job in NXT. Why don't you come do Friday Night SmackDown? Instead, what did they do? They just threw Corey Graves there next to Michael Cole. So now we get Corey Graves for five hours a week and I am not a Corey Graves hater. I actually think He's been improving over the last six months, but I don't need him for five hours every week. I just don't. It's as simple as that. So, you know, I'm happy for Pat, right? Seems to be a really good guy. Hardworking dude. He's going to be entertaining on college game day. But as a wrestling fan, someone who was really popping at the stuff Pat's been doing on commentary for SmackDown, especially the stuff with the Telestrator, uh, it's not lost on me that he was still kind of getting involved with stuff with Baron Corbin. Now that's not going to happen anymore. So again, happy for him as a person, for us as wrestling fans, as WWE watchers, sucks. He, he, as much as almost anything in WWE, 
was a breath of fresh air over the last year plus that he's been with the company. Like he completely rejuvenated Michael Cole's career. Mm -hmm. They, the two of them are honestly might be among my favorite broadcasting duos in wrestling history. I just think they have a great chemistry and more than anything, Pat McAfee loved doing it. And Mm -hmm. that came through the screen. And that is why he's good at everything he does and why he has a million jobs and will continue to because he has a real passion for these things that matches the passion of the people watching it. You know, if if I'm watching something and the guy I'm watching really, really cares about this, it makes me more interested. Or if he cares the same way I do, it, it helps. So he was such a strong addition to WWE and not having him during essentially college football season is going to be tough. Um, yeah. As for the it's a, replacement, it's a third of the yeah. year now that we're not going to yeah. have him every year. And he, had, by the way, like a month or two ago, he signed a multi-year extension with WWE. That's what I just said. In July, yeah, he signed right. a multi-year so, extension with when, in-ring work in addition yeah. to commentary work. When that, and, when, yeah. and Chris, sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but we were already loving Pat. And yeah. then Vince McMahon left and the whatever reins were still on him were taken off. He got a telestrator. He's going wild. He's using, you know, not really curse words, but. A little bit more inflammatory language. Him and Michael Cole are going wild together, bouncing off each other, way more casual than it even was before. So, like, not only were we already loving Pat, the last four to six weeks were the best version of Pat on commentary yeah. that we've ever gotten. And now he goes off and does ESPN College Game Day, which again, good for him, good for them. I did see it. He is entertaining on there. He's not more entertaining on there than he is on SmackDown. It's just, yeah, he's not like I I talked to Triple H about Pat McAfee back in April when we were just kind of hanging out. And he was he was like this guy. He's like, this guy just loved wrestling so much. And he would always come to me about just like stuff. And and eventually I forgot who came to who about him getting in the ring. But it just like made sense. Triple H loves him. Like they're obviously going to bring him back and everything like that. When he signed that WWE extension, it made me think he wouldn't do college game day. Exactly. the future yeah. with Lee Corso up in the air. He seemed like a natural replacement, but it seemed to, to not do that. So again, credit to WWE for letting him do that. Like clearly they kind of had to work around that. And I think it'll be beneficial for everybody. So the re- as far as the replacement, do we know if it is Corey Graves for sure moving forward or, or, or if this was a one-off kind of late decision? I mean, who knows? Like they theoretically could talk to Booker T or as I, I suggested McFoley. I just think that would be so refreshing or, Renee yeah. or whoever. Um, I mean, dude, they could, <laughs> I mean, they're not going to do it, but like they could take KO and just be like, Hey dude, you work, uh, you know, Mondays for raw, but you get to do commentary Fridays on SmackDown. Stuff like that has been done before. In fact, Chris Jericho yep. does it right now for AEW. Yep. He works, yep. he works rampage on commentary. I think you Ricky know, Starks you know, did yeah. for a while too. Yes. Um, you know, you know what I keep thinking about is that that clip of raw on strike when Triple H said to CM Punk that he could take over the commentary table. And you know, CM Punk might need another job in wrestling. <laughs> so let's fantasy book that. No, but like, in, like I, I wondered if, if if it could be JBL, who has worked with Cole a lot, if JBL was oh, going to come God. in and be as part of the, the core. Like I purposely left I, his name off my list of, of Not that I would have loved him, but I just was wondering <laughs> if he would be the guy. I love Wade Barrett. Um, He's been great NXT. on NXT. He's been yeah. great. I think he'd be good as well. So. Um, I love Corey Graves. I just think using him twice a week just kind of waters down everything. I'd like to yeah. keep them separate. And fresh. Another another great option would be Nigel McGuinness, whom a lot of yes. fans probably don't know, but he was 
the color guy with Mauro Ronaldo back in NXT. I think he does NXT UK color now, or he did. That show got canceled. So I don't think he has anything to do at all right now. And I do believe he's still in the United States. So like the problem with getting night, it's, it's Fox, right? So how do you bring in Nigel and the vast majority of main roster fans, despite him being a very accomplished wrestler and he's been with WWE for a long time doing commentary as well. Um, the majority of fans have no idea who he is. So you just bring in this guy. I can't imagine them doing that. But like Nigel would be fantastic. All the names I mentioned. Um, yes, even Booker T. They're just something he, he's different and he's fun. He's irreverent. You know, uh, you can put our truth on commentary if you, if you had him significantly calm down the craziness and actually call <laughs> things that wouldn't work. So I don't even know why I said that point. Yeah, is another, another one you can't do, but I'm imagining re, reuniting uh, Michael Cole and Taz would, would have worked <laughs> if Taz was available. Right. If Taz was available, that would be fantastic. So like the, there are creative things you can do. Um, you could do month by month commentary where you switch it up every month. Someone does four weeks at a time, but, and again, nothing against Corey Graves, but it's just like, I already get three hours of him. And his brand of humor and his comments and his heel antics every week. I don't need five. Yeah. It's fine on Raw. It On SmackDown, it's just too much. It is. So that's my frustration. But uh, we will see. And obviously, like I said, nothing against Pat. You know, like just speaking. I'm a sports fan too, right? So it's cool that he's doing that. I think he may even do some one-off games potentially for ESPN as well. Um, but you're wanted and needed back in WWE. Hopefully, immediately following the last college game day. So we'll take you as soon as we can get you. Uh, lastly here, you mentioned Triple H, Chris. Uh, we'll make this the final part of the main event. Triple H did have an extensive interview with Ariel Helwani, ahead of WWE Clash at the Castle. I watched and listened to the entire thing. I did send out tweets with a couple notable quotes from it. I also took notes, but I never got a chance to go over them because of all the craziness that happened, not just with football, but with that all out. Uh, press conference fallout. We were originally going to talk about this on last Tuesday's episode. So I have a number of notes here that I'm going to read. Uh, feel free to chime in whenever you want. But I do think a lot of what Triple H said is informative. And there's a very good chance that a large part, uh, portion excuse me, of our listening audience did not get to hear it. Off the top, let me say, Ariel did a great job. Uh, I had mentioned here on the podcast that I pitched a big interview to WWE that I was hopeful to get. Well, this was it. <laughs> Clearly, they chose Ariel, which I can hardly blame them. He's a great interviewer, a much bigger name with a much bigger audience. Uh, what was great, I thought, was he hit about 80% of the key questions, which is way more than I expected from someone who's a little bit more mainstream and focuses more on MMA than they do professional wrestling. I did think I'd be critical coming out of the interview with a ton of notes on what he did wrong, questions he didn't ask, and follow-ups. He did a fantastic job. So I do highly suggest you guys go and listen to this entire interview. But let me go ahead and talk about some of the things he said here. Um, Triple H attributed the different feel of the WWE product right now to breaking out of a formula and just trying a couple things that are new. He did confirm uh, Brock Lesnar walking out of SmackDown was true. The context was pretty much what we assumed on the podcast. He has a really strong relationship with Vince McMahon. He's not a trusting person. He was kind of blindsided by the entire thing, and he just, cooler heads had to prevail. Triple H said he has a good relationship with him, and that kind of insinuated we will see Brock Lesnar back in the future. Elevating mid-card titles, giving people names back, and focusing more on wrestling and sports entertainment, he said he's doing all those things because they matter to him. And serious people, wrestlers, need full names. And his quote was, book it like <laughs> a fan, and you can never go wrong. And I thought that was such a smart thing to do. 
you can do fanboy booking right and you can get it wrong. But if you consider the things that are important to fans and you focus on those, it's very tough to, you know, have that go in the wrong direction. So that's that's why we like Triple H taking over and always thought this would work and why we loved his work in NXT, because he really loves this stuff and he keeps up with it. And you know, Vince obviously loved the business, but he eventually was doing so many other things that were just not the booking of the show because it's become this big corporation. You know, he's an older guy who doesn't watch TV like he was out of touch on a lot of things. Triple H keeps up with everything. He really loves the details of this. And that's and it, it comes through in how the product's been booked since then. Yeah. A lot of the things that Triple H, quote unquote, fixed are consistent, heavy fan complaints. Your mid-card titles don't matter. Why are you changing people's names? Why are you removing half of their name? She's like, we don't need to do that. Let's just fix that. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that's the ease of changing minor things like that. Uh, like names and major things like the mid-court titles and doing them simultaneously and so quickly has led to an improvement in the product. Very simple. Uh, He said he didn't care about wrestlers' paths to WWE or their ages. Quote, talent is talent. He clearly had a problem with certain people who were released. He said, look, it's now my call. It's my playground. I can bring back who I want to bring back and keep out who I want to keep out. And we've seen that happen already. Uh, He said he didn't. Go ahead. Are you changing topics or are you staying on the same uh, Changing here? topics, but go for it. Okay, I was going to, on the talent part, I just want to mention this because it's it's similar to what he told me in April about, you know, hey, these aren't really my decisions on these things. The guys we release, the guys who go to AW, like, we stay in touch. I hope they do well. Like, you know, maybe they come back someday. Like, this is clearly something that was on his mind and uh, he, he, he very much had an eye on that. And in terms of talent, being talent doesn't care about ages and whatnot. It's a little bit different from what he told me because we were at the tryout talking about the focus on college athletes and a little bit different. But again, it, it fits everything we know about Triple H and how he approaches these things. So yeah, well, he, he's also talking about main roster. He's not really so much saying NXT, right? Like he's not, yeah, he's probably right. not going to bring a 45 year old into NXT. Right, right. Yeah. And that's what he said. He's like, we're not, yeah. we're, we're still hiring indie guys. Like it, that was before Cody Rhodes showed up. But like we knew that like, you know, they were still hiring people. It's just the right. way approaching NXT different was a, a separate issue. He said he uh, didn't agree with much of the NXT 2.0 changes. No shit. Uh, but pressure came to make changes before his heart failure. So he does believe some of what has changed is extremely positive. And he said a lot of the proposed changes he would have done anyway, not necessarily all of them, but he was going in that direction. And NXT was going to be changing before his heart failure. That just sped it up because he was no longer in charge. He said, uh, he kind of admitted NXT changed from its original intention for two reasons. One, its success with fans, critical acclaim, but also due to the pandemic. He said it's been overlooked, and I did mention this on the podcast, that they could not recruit or train new talent for two years. So they took it and fully turned it into a third brand, knowing that it needed to eventually flip back into development. And trip. what the other thing he said is, NIL, name, image, and likeness rights for college athletes, created a pathway for them to make that change. So that is why the NXT 2.0 changes coincided with Triple H changing positions and going into that NIL program, starting that up, and bringing in a lot of former college athletes and signing current college athletes to NIL deals. Um, he asked... Yes, if he got- that, yeah, real quick, sorry. Yes, that is... I mean, that's the same sports. thing he told me. That's the same thing he told me at the at the time. Is that, look, NXT had kind of run its course of what it was. It had to become developmental again for different reasons. And I know, you know, the 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 final days of black and gold NXT pandemic era, like 
it was not good. Like it, NXT needed to make some. I mean, I disagree. Things. I thought it was very good wrestling. It wasn't as good as NXT had been, though. Yeah, just it, it, it had declined right. in quality. And, and and in terms of you know getting these college athletes and really becoming developmental, they're signing these kids. These people they're signing. They're like. 20 21 22 23 years old like these people are very very green but if you hit on some of them then you've really got something like think of bianca belair think of what roman reigns became uh you know you know tiffany stratton she signed like a year ago with them and it moved up very quickly like so they are going to find new people and not and even the people that they don't sign or don't make it like there's just more people in pro wrestling now look at parker boudreau he didn't work out in in WWE now he's on NXT now he's on AW television like it's good that <laughs> WWE is basically you, you cannot you whatever you think about Parker Boudreau I'm just saying like I mean he's not it, working out there but yeah no but it's it's sure. it's very much deepening the pool of yes just people yes. who are in pro wrestling it's basically becoming wrestling school they're getting and, people into the industry many of yes. whom perhaps otherwise would not have gotten into the industry yes and that and that ultimately I think will be is is a good thing for the entire industry. Uh, he was asked whether he got punished because NXT lost to AEW, which, of course, is very common IWC assumptions. He said, quote, it was never a competitive war is what he was referring to. They beat our developmental system. Good for them. There was never even a pressure of you have to beat that. It was put on the best product we could. It shifted over time. During the pandemic, all of that shifted over time. The opportunity for us to change it back to what it truly was. When you look at a lot of the stars that have come through that system, that had either started here from zero or had very little exposure anywhere and became massive stars with us. God, it's so many people. We had lost the ability to teach those people and groom them from the ground up. We really had. Now, I've mentioned this stuff numerous times, but I'm glad to see that like my takes were accurate. NXT suffered more than any other brand during the pandemic. I don't yes. know how many times I've said that. Not yeah. just because it couldn't develop people, but it lost the fans that made the product so exciting and the direction of the brand changed even more drastically than they had originally planned. The real ratings losses came not at the beginning of TV, but after the pandemic had already begun. It was impossible for NXT to compete with AEW when it had gotten away from the principles that made NXT so great. The rotation of talent, both up to the main roster and new talent coming in, the long-term storylines, all of that changed and they just started booking shows with really good wrestling to kind of go head to head with AEW. When all of that changed, that's when the quality level declined. It wasn't yep. just because it was on TV and it wasn't just because it got a little more exposure. It was because of the pandemic. I just wanted to clarify that. Yep. Um, go ahead. Nope, that was it. Yep, I oh. completely agree with all that. Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to get through it. I promised to do it fast. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I'm fine. slowing down now. No, that's good. Uh, they did plan to change NXT UK to NXT Europe at some point before the pandemic. They meant He also mentioned NXT India, South Africa, and Mexico. He said he wants to build brands locally and then create World Cup scenarios globally with talent feeding into both Raw and SmackDown. He said he compared basically the main roster to the NFL and NXT to college football. And I think it's interesting that he keeps talking about expanding past Europe because a lot of Europe still is English speaking. Whereas when you do get into South Africa and Mexico and India, it's not as much, right? It's, it's probably a lower proportion in all of those areas. So to then talk about bringing in all of that talent as a feeder system into NXT, I guess, maybe United States, and then perhaps to the main roster, it's creating a very interesting uh, diversity of talent and culture where you say how many talent in WWE's entire history 
would come in without being fluent English speakers or extremely competent English speakers or, or growing, improving English speakers. And you always see that that's been a tough barrier for WWE talent to climb. Now, perhaps that was because of Vince McMahon and they wouldn't do very simple things like subtitles for promos, right? Or just have someone explain what the person just said or tell storylines that don't require a lot of talking. So maybe all that can change. But I do find it interesting that he has this world domination plan still that if you ever saw there was a there's a screenshot of a, a speech he gave with a PowerPoint presentation that shows NXT locations all over the globe. And I figured they had gone away from that because they probably didn't. It's like, that doesn't really make a lot of business sense. And yet it seems like that's what they're trying to do. So I don't know if they're going to do NXT shows in all those areas, if they want to do mini performance centers and train talent and then feed those people over to Europe and the United States. But I do think it's interesting that he has so many plans to go into all these other areas where historically WWE's had superstars from all those areas. But you're talking about, you know, individuals that have kind of been able to work their way through the system, not a mass inclusion of suddenly Indian talent or African talent or Mexican talent. It's usually certain people in WWE where the cream rises to the top. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just talking about historically the way the WWE roster has been composed. I agree. And look, WWE got a lot of heat for NXT UK and kind of maybe wrecking the indie scene there. That's different in all these other places where there's there is not much of a wrestling scene. You want to create new talent. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. He was asked if AEW is competition. He gave the common line. Everything is competition. But he also said it's not a cop out answer. They definitely pay attention to AEW like they do other entertainment competition. But he doesn't watch it on a week to week basis is what he said. Uh, he also noted that he underwent three separate surgeries, more than 15 hours in total to get a defibrillator working. Uh, he didn't watch any of the product during that time and during his recovery. It was too hard to deal with it, like seeing it and not being able to contribute. He also noted that there were originally plans for him to do something with Gable Steveson to launch his career at WrestleMania, which is so freaking interesting because not only did that not happen, but Gable has been basically non-existent. Don't forget, a year ago, this guy was drafted to Raw, okay, because he had signed with WWE, and the goal was to have him do spot appearances here and there while he was still at Minnesota, and then the idea was once he graduated, not graduated, uh, finished up at Minnesota and won another NCAA title, which he did, he would basically come to WWE full-time, and yet, even now, he's still not on TV. I find it incredibly interesting, Chris, because what have we said? Every single time we saw Gable on TV, he never seemed excited to be there. He seemed like he had absolutely zero charisma or interest in doing anything actually having to do with WWE other than getting cheered and just showing up. And you have his brother right now in NXT, Damon Kemp. It's Gable Stevenson's brother. They changed his name because they, I guess, didn't want him to be on-screen brothers right away, who is doing the work, improving in the ring, getting better on the mic, and becoming a star on the brand. And I just find that so interesting, the juxtaposition between Gable, who was the featured guy getting paid all this money, they had all these plans for him, not working out, and I actually don't even know his brother's name off the top of my head, uh, but Damon Kemp, uh, doing everything, quote unquote, the right way, or maybe the hard way, actually going to NXT and building himself up that way, not having private training right near his house, but going, moving to Orlando and doing all this, and all of a sudden you see this guy develop into something where he may very well be a main roster superstar sooner than later. Yeah, I, I I haven't followed it super closely, but I saw, I think it was Meltzer who might have reported that 
they've been pretty cool on Stevenson, on, on Gable Stevenson, and things haven't really mm-hmm. clicked, and that his brother's been doing a great job. So Pierce said, by the way, his name's what's Bobby. Uh, Damon Kemp's name's Bobby Stevenson. So my gotcha. fault. Sorry, Bobby. Yeah. I, I didn't uh, know that off the top. Anyway, a couple more notes. Uh, Triple H said that leading NXT and now main roster creative is more fulfilling than his in-ring career. Regarding Stephanie McMahon's short leave of absence, the plan was to take a breath from everything because she never stopped working and continued handling kids while Triple H was out and he couldn't do anything. He was just bedridden, not doing anything. Um, she ended up getting about three weeks of a leave of absence before she obviously got the call and had to take the opportunity presented, which she's been waiting for her entire life. Triple H did get a 100% clean bill of health to go about his life. So he's totally fine working. There's no like concerns with him being stressed out from the new job or anything like that. That was really good to hear. And lastly, Ariel asked him about Sasha Banks, Braun Strowman, and Bray Wyatt. Triple H put all three of them over. He noted that Sasha has other crazy things that she's doing that she may want to pursue. He called Bray extremely creative to the point of craziness, uh, but that his creativity needs to be harnessed, is what Triple H said. And it sounded when he was breaking down all three of them that he wanted all of them back. Obviously, Braun Strowman has already returned to TV. We have no idea what's happening with Bray Wyatt. Sasha Banks, just recently, we saw her catwalking uh, with Naomi. They've been doing some modeling stuff. Uh, She sent a tweet or something about how she has a lot of irons in the fire with acting, or maybe it was an Instagram post. She's doing a lot of stuff. uh, So we don't know if or when she and or Naomi are coming back. Braun's back. Bray Wyatt, I think everyone expects him to be back in WWE, even if there's no reports that he signed or anything like that. But it was interesting that for him to answer all three questions dead on, put all three of them over. But what I found most interesting was the way he talked about Bray Wyatt. He's like, he's great. He's so super creative. But if you don't harness it, it gets out of control. And considering he butted heads, Bray, with Vince McMahon to such a degree over his creativity and considering... Others probably have heard the same thing. It does kind of make me wonder, you know, is he going to relent enough in terms of creative control over a character to potentially make a return to WWE work? So I just found it all very interesting. Really good interview by Ariel. Yes. If there's any comments you want to make on the things uh, that I just wrapped up here with, great. If not, uh, we will move on. Just overall, I think Triple H understands. He very much understands how to work with people and how to get the most out of media opportunities like, you know, WWE invited media to the tryout that they did. Um, he, he goes on ESPN. He does. Uh, he, he'll do this Pat Mac, uh, the Ariel Hawani interview like that's not we didn't see Vince do that stuff. Triple H knows him getting out there is more ways to publicize WWE to make little bits of news in different ways and to get people talking about the product. He knows he's the face of the company now. And he's going to handle it in a different way than we got from Vince. And so far, I think it's it's been a clear positive for the company. Definitely agree with that, man. Now, we have a ton to talk about. In fact, we still have everything to talk about from <laughs> SmackDown and Raw this week. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get started with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Showing you the good, the bad, the ugly when your money gets funny and the days ain't sunny. We showing you the good, the bad, the ugly, and this is for the hood. All right, so on SmackDown, Sami Zayn entered all hyped up with the Usos. He led the promo with Jimmy laughing, and Jay, of course, was ice cold. Jay put over Roman Reigns, saying the bloodline runs deep. Solo Sokoa got major heat from the crowd. During his intro, he also got an NXT highlight package. He kept his nickname Street Champion. And he also cut a short promo before Drew McIntyre entered in street clothes. Sammy sacrificed himself by saving Solo from a chair shot. 
The bloodline ran off with McIntyre challenging Sokoa off the mic. The Usos were pumping up Solo backstage later when Sokoa thanked Zayn for his help. Jay got angry about Solo saying he would take Sammy's help whenever he needs it. And then McIntyre also had a quick backstage promo. So then we had a match, uh, McIntyre versus Sokoa. Uh, Drew quickly hit the Future Shock DDT, but the Usos saved Solo from the Claymore one minute into the match. He had a neck breaker and dealt with a lot of distractions. McIntyre brought Zayn inside, but when he went for the Claymore, Sokoa caught him blind with a super kick. Zayn distracted as the Usos pulled McIntyre outside and beat his ass. The Street Profits made the save with Montez hitting a big splash outside. McIntyre drove Sokoa out of the ring with a Claymore before suddenly carrying cross attacked from behind with the cross jacket. The screen immediately went to black and white and then slowly faded to black as McIntyre was passing out with commentary remaining live in the background as the screen faded and SmackDown ended. So Chris, I saw positives and negatives here. All of the pre-match stuff with Sammy and the bloodline, it remained great. It's pitch perfect. Sokoa was also treated really strong in his debut. That's a positive. But it didn't really make any sense to me why McIntyre couldn't pin Solo and get attacked after the bell, given no matter which way it goes down, he wins the match. I hate guys losing their debuts. Don't get me wrong. I criticize it when it happens. But Drew nearly beat Roman Reigns a couple days earlier at Clash at the Castle. Him winning on Friday to kind of get back some of that mojo was more important than Sokoa not losing. The stuff with the Profits was an issue. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But the execution of the cross stuff to wrap it up, I thought it was stellar with the color change, the fade to black, everything. The good outweighed the bad here. So that's going to be my grade because it was good by a significant margin over bad. I just didn't love all of it. Well, yeah, it, it's absolutely a, a good. And honestly, to start, I don't think you mentioned this, but SmackDown opened with highlights from Clash at the Castle. Not very surprising. stills. Yeah, very yeah, surprising. that was a new little changer that I noticed. That I liked. And well, like, I, I wonder, Chris, I wonder if that's maybe because not as many people watched it as a normal PLE. I, I don't know. Could be. Yeah, I don't know. But um, if you you couldn't debut, you couldn't debut a new character from NXT and get them over much better than you could do with what they did with Solo Sokoa. And ultimately, I think that's what the goal was to do. And it started from the very beginning. His entrance was awesome. It was when he was coming out to when he was coming out to the ring for the match. Cole's telling us the age difference between him and the Usos. He was so much younger. He didn't really hang out with them. He was a loner a lot. Like that was such incredible character storytelling right there that just really, really made me like feel a connection to Sol Sokoa as a person. And I just I just thought they really debuted him instead of just, oh, here's another lackey and he's with the Usos and he mm-hmm. uses the Roman Reigns on his first match and we don't care about him. It felt like they wanted to get across this guy matters. And they did that. Could he have taken the pin against Roman uh, against Drew? Yeah, like I, I, I get it, but I can see what they went for. And I think what they wanted to accomplish with Solo, I think they nailed it. And in terms of the carrying cross stuff, again, I, I say it every week they do it. I love that the camera switches to black and white when he gets a hold of him. Again, feels like that Thor love and thunder into the shadow realm type of stuff. It felt like it dragged a little bit. I don't know if the timing was off, but... Drew was it was it felt like a good minute or two that Cross had the hold on him. So I was like, I was like waiting for the credits to come up. I was like, when is this going to end? Is he going to pass out? And then it eventually faded to black and it worked. So 
I liked it a lot more than uh, than I guess you did. But I understand why people may have thought, hey, you know, Drew needed something back. Maybe he didn't. But they wanted Solo to feel new, important, and most importantly, different. Mm-hmm. I think they accomplished that. Well, that's the thing he did, right? And if they're not going to hesitate to beat Jay one-on-one or beat Jimmy one-on-one or Sammy, there's really no reason Solo can't lose to Drew freaking McIntyre. That's what I was getting at. It's just like... He, he got outsmarted or, or, you know, maybe not outsmarted, but ganged up upon right at Clash of the Castle. He has a chance to kind of get some of that mojo back here. And then he gets choked out by Karrion Cross. And in between, it would have been nice if he had a moment, right, where he pins him. He's getting up, about to celebrate. Cross puts it on him. Like, that's just what I would have done. You know, again, just because I, I we think either of us or both of us think something could be done better or different doesn't mean that what was done was bad. It wasn't. This was very entertaining. Mm-hmm. And very good. Uh, you mentioned, by the way, Thor, Love and Thunder. I don't think we ever talked about it. What did you think of that movie? I thought it was okay. Not as good, not nearly as good as Ragnarok. It's now on Disney+. Plus. My wife watched it like twice over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was solid, not great. I was on vacation and I was near one of those 4D theaters. I don't know if you've ever heard of those, but basically it's like wind, water. They, there's like a, oh, there's a yeah. stick like behind your feet. It's kind of like you're at an amusement park ride, one of those theater amusement mm. park rides. There's like a stick by your feet that like can tickle you if like it's like a, an animal brushing up against you. Uh, the seats move and go back and forth. Yeah, yeah. There's lights and stuff like that. Uh, so I saw it in that environment. Very cool environment to watch a movie. Movie, not good. And I think this whole phase of Marvel movies recently is just really down from what it had been Agreed. before. Again, you want to talk about uh, criticizing creative? I have some criticisms for the uh, Marvel creative as of late. We'll save Agreed. that for another show, uh, another day. Uh, Chris, so, you know, continuing with this really quick before we move on, I'm trying to determine the point of the cross booking. Either McIntyre is going to put him over after losing to Reigns, thus blowing the remainder of momentum that Drew has, or he's going to win the feud and Cross is going to take an immediate loss upon his debut. Now, maybe Cross has dominated him so frequently to this point that Triple H sees it as good enough, that he's been built up strong enough that even if he ultimately loses to McIntyre, it's not the end of the world because he's been so strong in the build. But I just don't really see how they creatively get out of this match with McIntyre keeping his momentum and Cross remaining strong. So I am concerned about that. I agree. And it's kind of the same situation with Sol Sokoa, which is you just debuted somebody here in their first match, kind of first match on the main roster with Cross, and it's against Drew McIntyre. Are you going to have him take a loss or are you going to get out of it in some way? They got out of it with Sokoa. Right. I don't know. I, I agree. I don't really know where it's going. I, again, will give this uh, administration the benefit of the doubt that they'll Absolutely. figure it out. Yeah. But uh, I am very curious where it's going to go and when Drew is going to finally turn his attention this direction, which it may be now. We'll see. Right. Uh, Alpha Academy tried to ruin Braun Strowman's return uh, to SmackDown because of what he did last Monday, interrupting their match. They got massive heat from a great Seattle crowd before Strowman entered to a remix theme, and he got a pretty big pop too. Otis didn't back down. He got some shots in, but Braun killed Chad Gable with a powerbomb and easily lifted Otis into a powerbomb, which was crazy impressive. Also, uh, Braun has a septum piercing, which no offense to anyone who might have one, I don't get that look at all. Uh, This was disappointing, I thought. Uh, They didn't deliver as promised the explanation of why he's back in WWE and why he's on SmackDown. The whole promo was, find out why I'm back Friday. 
and they didn't deliver at all. At the same time, there's no denying the reaction. The crowd went absolutely wild. And I love how much of a factor Chad Gable has become on screen. He was a factor on Raw. He was a factor on SmackDown now. He was held off and held away from TV for so long, kept out of interactions with major stars. And now he here he is fighting major stars, getting involved in major stars, uh, in the business of major stars. I'm going to say good. I just don't like they promised one thing and didn't deliver it. Yeah, like this was a very, very light good. But to your point about the crowd going crazy, they this segment, it. this segment, 1.1 million views on YouTube. It was only behind the Drew Matt, the Drew. Oh, by the way, I forgot to say, but the Drew solo match, 1.4 million views. Mm, interesting. And the in the Drew chair shots on him in the earlier segment, 890,000 views. By far the three biggest things on Raw. But to me, what stuck out there is, yeah, a million views for Braun Strowman. Again, this wasn't even his return. This was just Braun Strowman destroys the Alpha Academy. That's the name of the video. So people are real into him. I would have. Yeah, you're right. I would have liked to get more. I would like to hear from him a little bit more and get some stuff. But um, yeah, it was it was fine. It was a light good. It was also announced later that the fatal four way number one contendership from Raw last Monday that Strowman interrupted. They're going to run it back this coming Friday on SmackDown. And while that's fine in theory, given it was a no contest, WWE, in my opinion, at least completely gave away the booking by having the profits be the ones to save McIntyre in the main event. They already did that, first of all. They've already teamed with Drew. So, and I think New Day has as well, right? So, but if they're the ones to save him and they're getting involved in the Usos business, then how in the hell are you doing this match and not having them be the ones to win it? Uh, Even though they're restarting the match, and I appreciate that they're doing that because it was interrupted, I don't understand why they're not booking this better. Why not freshen shit up with the brawling brutes? Now, especially now that they're baby faces, the tag team, getting a tag team title opportunity or a chance in a number one contendership. Imperium now has a tag team. Mustafa Ali and Cedric Alexander, we saw them one week together and we haven't seen them since. And guess what? They were really good when they were together. And by the way, the Viking Raiders just beat New Day. They should probably have a number one contendership. Forget about being getting an opportunity at one, which New Day is, and they are not, despite them being the team that beat New Day. So to me, that's completely nonsensical. I can't imagine WWE going heel versus heel, the Usos against Alpha Academy or the Usos against Los Lotharios. That doesn't make sense. So that means it's Profits or New Day, even though the Usos have beaten them multiple times. And the end of both of those feuds was basically, hey, we're not going to run this back again because the Usos won. So I find the match booking very frustrating. I don't understand why they have all these new teams and not injecting new blood into the division. I mean, I guess we're going to find out Friday if my assumption is correct, but everything they gave us on SmackDown told me the Street Profits are winning that match. Yeah, I, I'm not, maybe just because of the layout of the match, as you said. I do like, again, under Triple H, we're getting number one contender matches. We're getting tournaments. We're getting people who have to win their way into feuds, kind of like sports a little bit. But, yeah, I, I mean, Profits, Usos again. I mean, that last match they did was a major letdown. Like, so I don't know if we want this again or not. So I guess we'll see. Well, it didn't live up to their first one, but it was only a letdown because they didn't change the titles. 
Well, it, it right? was, and it was also a lot shorter than we thought. It was not yes. that long, yes. if I recall correctly. So I'm we, just saying we it was it was it was let down compared to a great epic match that they had immediately yes. before it. That was the moment for them, and they didn't right. pull the trigger. So I, doing it at Extreme Rules or something is not going to mean as much. Exactly. Uh, so we had Johnny Gargano in his Raw debut match against Chad Gable. Gargano got a video package recapping the last couple of weeks on Raw with highlights from his NXT career spliced throughout. Theory later called Gable a close friend, and they have been working together in recent weeks. So the booking made sense for Gable to be the one to kind of help his buddy and try to beat Gargano in his first match. Uh, there was an immediate Johnny wrestling chant at the bell. They mat wrestled for nine minutes, which was way too long. Gargano hit a slingshot spear, but Gable came back with an awesome cliffhanger DDT. Business finally picked up after that sequence. Gargano hit a cyclone suplex bridge for another near fall. Gargano countered a flying headbutt into the Gargano escape, but Gable countered into an ankle lock. Gargano escaped a uh, deadlift German and hit a discus lariat for a very loud This Is Awesome chant. Gargano threw Gable over the ropes into Otis and then hit a tope suicida into both guys. Then he followed with one final beat on Gable for the clean win in 14 minutes. Otis attacked immediately after the bell. Gargano got a couple shots in, and then he threw the DX chop at him before dipping out of the ring. As Gargano was walking backwards, you know, heading to gorilla position, Theory, of course, slammed him with a briefcase and took selfies first with Gargano and then together with Alpha Academy, who was still in the ring. This, Chris, was a textbook example of if you put good wrestling on TV, it will get over. The match started slow. It picked up massively and the crowd was enthralled for the final five minutes. They had them in the palm of their hands. Gable made storyline sense. Like I said, he actually wasn't the best possible matchup for Gargano. Someone like Mustafa Ali or Cedric Alexander would have actually been a better foil in terms of in-ring chemistry. And yet this still completely worked. The post-match stuff was expected. Was it the best in-ring debut ever? No, but it was an easy good, both for the moment and long-term as it pertains to the crowd's reaction to Gargano. He is over like Rover already. Yes, and it, it had to be Gable because you needed a good, solid heel foil to kind of be the guy, and, and, and that is Gable. I love that he's just, like you said, getting these opportunities, getting this TV time. He's such a reliable person on the mic and in the ring now, and they realize that, and it's great to see him get this opportunity. I don't know why, but I really laughed at Johnny Shoosh. Uh, yeah, that was <laughs> promo. funny. It <laughs> doesn't make any sense, but it was just really funny the way he delivered it. Uh, you're right. This match did start off slow, kind of surprisingly, but it really picked up, and and they did a great job. So definitely a good. Now, that's not all we got from Theory, because Theory stayed in the ring with a mic coming out of commercial. He called Gargano overrated and the bottom of the food chain. He got some heat for that. Kevin Owens interrupted again to a huge pop and a KO chant. And it just seemed like we're repeating the exact same segment, but no, we ultimately did not. Uh, Owens did say, though, that Theory was repeating himself and that being handpicked as the future of WWE is not how things work anymore. Theory said he's done more in five months than Owens and Gargano have done in five years. Owens said Theory hasn't earned anything because everything has been handed to him. He said he knows what that's like because he once had the universal title handed to him on a silver platter, referring to Triple H interfering in that match after Finn Balor had to relinquish the title and Owens becoming the new champion. KO said he's seen plenty of good looking guys with potential go nowhere in this industry and Theory is a dime a dozen, while guys like him and Gargano are special because they have to break through in order to succeed. Owens said he and Gargano are the heart and soul of the business, while people like Theory are the appendix, completely disposable. KO said he hoped Theory is the future of WWE, but from what he's seen, Theory does not have what it takes. KO then cut him off when he tried to respond. 
and he dared theory to prove everyone wrong by making his own moments, checking his own ego, and leaving it all in the ring to become the face of WWE. Theory seemed to be like hearing him a little bit, but then his response was he flexed, and he said a couple words on the mic, basically saying Owens will never be like him, so KO slapped him across the face, and they brawled even through officials and agents trying to separate them, until Theory barely escaped the stunner to end the segment. Theory, by the way, busted open his nose, and Owens screamed that that was just the beginning, which was just a nice, unexpected touch to the entire thing. Now, I said on Thursday show, you weren't on it, Chris. I don't know if you listened to it, uh, but I said that John Moxley's rah-rah promo from Dynamite, it was good, but it wasn't as good as people claimed. Some were saying it was epic, promo of the year. It wasn't. This promo from KO is what people thought that promo from Moxley was. This was expert level stuff. Not only did Owens get himself over, not only did he give Theory motivation that he hasn't possessed since Vince McMahon left, Owens also got Gargano over immediately after his debut match. Do you know how hard it is to cut a promo where you get someone over who isn't on the screen with you? It's like impossible to do that. On top of all of that, Owens called back to Triple H and all of that shit, handing him the universal title. It was so good. He put his imperfections out there saying, this is who I was, but it's not who I am. It also closed a clear plot hole that would have otherwise existed in the storyline if he didn't mention it. There were references for smart fans and casuals that appealed obviously to various sensibilities. And I should also mention Theory was great too. He played his role as the foil for this, everything that KO hates perfectly. Owens broke him down in hopes of changing his philosophy and building him back up. One of the biggest criticisms of Theory is that he's too polished. This creates the catalyst for Theory to ultimately change, develop, and grow in and out of the ring. How is it going to happen? Is the Money in the Bank briefcase going to be on the line? These are all questions we don't know, but guess what? We're intrigued and we want to find out. This was as good as it gets. That doesn't mean it was the best promo ever, but it was the perfect promo in the perfect moment delivered by the perfect person. And you bet your ass it's going to be in the promo of the year conversation when the holidays roll around. I'm happy. I'm pumped is what I am. He's pumped and happy. I'm happy too. This was good. This is why I've always said for years that if I was going to build a company, wrestling company. Kevin Owens is one of the guys I would start. He is the foundation who can do everything, who can get other people over, who can get himself over, who can be a good guy, bad guy, cut a great promo, do great wrestling. He does it all. And I tweeted after this promo that Kevin Owens just earned himself an Emmy nomination because it was going on <laughs> during during the same time as the Emmys. This was perfect. This was exactly what it needed to be. It 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 got everybody over that it needed to and you mentioned it at the end. I had I wrote it down in my notes. Kevin Owens referencing things that happened in the past is so important because that is that is rewarding people for paying attention. Yes. And that is that is what the best TV shows do. Those are some of our favorite moments in Marvel when there's a reference to something Better Call five Saul, years ago. Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yes. Like Correct. that that Succession. it's like, oh, I remember that I paid attention. I'm glad they remember it too. It feels like that was worth my time. And again, yeah, not only was you know, uh, Kevin Owens literally handed the universal title. He was handled it handled it by Triple H, like the guy who's in charge of the company. Now. <laughs> right, so he's like, literally in charge right now. Right. 
you like this is the guy who's like, yeah, like I've made mistakes. I did things wrong. Like I learned from that and you're going down this path. This was just this was perfect. And, you know, I, I still want to see Kevin Owens get back in the title picture at some point. I want him. You know, he got the Steve Austin moment, but I just he's a guy I always want near the top of the card. He has basically spent his entire time since WrestleMania working to get other people over. And that's kind of the situation here. But this is a spot where he's trying to elevate Austin Theory into that main event picture himself. And so I think it's I think it's it's been a good mix. He's elevating Theory. He's elevating himself and he's elevating Gargano. He's saying, hey, you know that guy you just saw wrestle? Here's why he's so great. Here's why he's so important. And you like me so much. Here's why he is exactly like I am. So if you yes. like me, you should like him. You know, freaking tough that I almost cursed. You know, freaking tough that is to do. He absolutely crushed it. And by the way, I should also give some credit to Theory. Because not only was he good in the moment, as I already said, he had a great short promo on Raw Talk. I don't watch it anymore, uh, but I did see it on social media. I'm going to play it for you because I have a feeling if I don't, most of you won't ever hear it. And this really should have been something that happened backstage on TV, uh, but it didn't. So here you go. Owens, it's so funny because he wants to unveil that I'm just handed opportunities. But let me let me take you back down memory lane. The Elimination Chamber. I beat Kevin Owens to get into the Elimination Chamber. And then what happened there? I was the only man left in that chamber with Brock Lesnar. And then when I became the youngest United States champion, I defended against a man that has done so many things, so many championships. Finn Balor, I beat him straight up. And then... I go on to the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Starting at the beginning, I defend the United States Championship, and I have an all-out war with Bobby Lashley. He got the best of me. So then what? I was, what, handed an opportunity to go into the Money in the Bank match? Less than 50%. I walk in there. I'm in there with former WWE champions like Drew McIntyre, Seth Rollins, Sheamus, just to name a few. All those guys at the peak of their game. And me, I just had a United States title match. But what happened? That wasn't an excuse. I walked in there and did what I always do, and that's all day. I became the youngest Mr. Money in the Bank, and I'm tired of people trying to downplay my achievements like I haven't busted my ass. I'm the future, and the future is right in front of you, and that is A-Town Down. I mean, outside of the A-Town Down at the end, that was pretty yeah. great. Yeah, Austin Theory is very good at this, like this whole thing, and I, I think people need to remember that like he's not just handpicked like this is a guy who's been wrestling for a long time he's always wanted to do this this isn't like roman reigns football player family they just put him in the spot you know like no this guy worked to get to the spot he's very good at it and i'm glad he reminded us of all those things he did because honestly the only thing i can think about with austin theory is he's had the money to make briefcase and lost almost every match since then so i'm glad they reminded me of that like that was really good stuff don't forget this guy's 25 years old. You know who else is 25 years old? Wheeler Yuta. Okay, they're both very good in the ring. Yuta's probably a little bit better. Who has more charisma? Austin Theory by a gallon. I mean, it's, it's night and day, right? So if you have the charisma, if you have the in-ring talent and you're 25 years old, you're gonna figure it out. He has all the elements to be the future. Like you said in that program, I mean promo. And clearly the ceiling is exceptionally high for Austin Theory. So I just wanted to give that promo an opportunity to see the light of day, for lack of a better term, because I have a feeling a lot of people will never hear that. Chris, let's keep going here. Uh, Seth Rollins opened Raw by getting serenaded thrice uh, with his song from the crowd. He played babyface, kind of like MJF last week, before saying karma struck Matt Riddle and he got what was coming to him. 
Rollins said he's not interested in a rematch, but he's focused on championship gold as fans chanted rematch. Riddle attacked and they brawled into the crowd until Rollins raked his eyes and escaped. Suddenly, Finn Balor and Damian Priest came out, offering Riddle a spot in Judgment Day, saying he's been held back just like they have been. Fans chanted bro, and they actually played into it, uh, saying that the fans wanted him to join. Riddle said he's focused on Rollins and declined. Balor said maybe Riddle's brain was cloudy because the laws are relaxed in Portland. Great line. And if he didn't join Judgment Day, then he was in their way. Riddle took them out, and it was clear a match would come after commercial break. There was nothing wrong with this, Chris, but to open Raw with a 13-minute promo segment against Monday Night Football didn't really seem like the most exciting decision. It was a lot of talking without much developing or happening. Uh, you know, we don't have to grade it separately. I did give it a good if we want to, but I thought it all worked and I loved Rollins opening Raw. They need to do that more often because he's literally the biggest name on the entire brand. They got to fo- uh, not just focus the show on him more, but feature him more on the show. Well, it's kind of funny because they did have that uh, who's exactly the face of Raw segment, which we'll talk about in a minute. My, my um, my issue, my only issue with this opening was like, the ju- the Judgment Day keeps trying to add people, but why? What is the pitch? Like they're losers. They keep Powers losing matches, e- even when they even even when they added Dominic Mysterio. Like they had just lost to Edge, and like what this is. You know, what is their what is their goal? What are they trying to get to? Is it hey Matt Riddle, you're, you're being underutilized, or you're 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 not where you should be. We can get you there. Like it was, it wasn't much of that. I I feel like Judgment Day, like again, I love them together, and I think they're great. I thought Finn and, and Finn and Priest were awesome in this. I just think the the greater context of like why would he want to do that? What exactly is the pitch? Is 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 missing, and it's kind of been missing almost the entire time with with the Judgment Day. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I really feel like it's been explained. It's not so much that. It's missing. It's just that it's not strong. It's yes. the idea. The idea of Finn Balor, who's been there for a long time, was the first Universal Champion, has won numerous titles, featured heavily, obviously, in NXT. Damian Priest, who was put on WrestleMania with Bad Bunny, who won the United States Championship with like undefeated for a year on television, shortly after getting called up. Rhea Ripley, who was a women's champion, shortly after getting called up, had a ton of success in NXT. Granted, after that, things did kind of slow down for her. And granted, things did kind of slow down for Finn Balor and Priest to a little bit less of an extent, but him as well. So it's more like they're in a like a low zone in their careers, not so much they haven't been given opportunities and haven't been treated well. So I think yeah. the explanation is thin, but I don't think it's I don't think it's unclear. I do believe they've articulated it well. I just think it's a thin reason to kind of form a faction. That said, one thing I think people are forgetting about Judgment Day and factions and groups and stables in general, especially when it comes to WWE, is heel factions are not always supposed to be dominant. And a lot of times they exist. So you get a lot of people doing stuff together. You get them on TV more frequently and you have more reasons to have multiple different matches in a single feud. And that's really what Judgment Day is. We'll talk more about them a little bit later. But just because they aren't dominating the show and winning everything, just because they're not like Hurt Business where they won the tag team titles and they won... Uh, the world title, you know, pretty quickly doesn't mean that they're a failure or that they're not a good faction. I know you weren't saying that. I'm just telling other people. Right. But uh, like not every yeah. faction's a main event, you know, not every faction's evolution or the shield. They're just not. No, but Rhea Ripley's a multi-time champ. Finn's a multi-time champ. Like they should be wanting to 
get those championships and having their eyes on them. They've they had be. their eyes on them. They've right. had they've had their eyes on the Mysterios for like two months, and it's just like. Well, this is another great example, Chris. Right, we're talking about the tag team division being, you know, stale and and yeah, us put wanting them in the to tag division freshed up. Why aren't Finn Balor and Damian Priest teaming together and going after the titles? Yeah, the answer probably is because the champions are heels, but they yes. could be competing in tag team matches on Raw to build up their credibility. So when the titles do change and a faces champion, they're a legitimate team to go after them. So yeah, like that is all, this is all stuff that could be happening and developing. And I'm not saying they haven't had any tag team matches. They have, but they've been basically part of singles feuds. They haven't fought a tag team. And that's the type of stuff that they probably need to do. So uh, we'll keep going here. There's plenty more that happened. Uh, Riddle fought Balor in that match coming out of commercial break. Both guys ran through their signatures. Priest distracted a couple times. Riddle countered a sling blade into a ripcord knee. Balor then hit one as Rey Mysterio attacked Priest out of the crowd, driving him into the post and then back into the crowd. Riddle caught Balor with Bro to sleep in a German suplex. Balor got double knees up on floating Bro and hit a shotgun dropkick, but Riddle avoided coup de gras and hit the draping DDT. Rollins then distracted on the RKO attempt, giving Balor an opening for an inverted 1916 and a coup de gras for the win in nearly 15 minutes. Rollins, of course, added a stomp after the bell and he yelled at Riddle, move on, bitch. I thought this was really strong booking. Balor badly needs significant wins as he keeps getting rebuilt. Riddle losing was completely excused and there was a swerve to the entire thing with Ray attacking Priest, making us think Riddle would win only for it to go in the other direction with a second interference. Thought it was a really solid TV match. It felt like Riddle and Balor never entered a second gear, which is disappointing because they're amazing when they go all out. But besides that, I thought the thing made complete sense. The right person actually won and it continued the Rollins Riddle storyline. So this was good. Yeah, like everything made sense. I, I missed a good chunk of this, but but saw the highlights and seemed like everything was good. And you know, those guys are two very good, two of the best at what they do. So uh, yeah, I give it a good. Uh, later backstage, Rollins said the moment to make his statement passed and he's sick of Riddle not understanding that he can't just miss if he tries to test the face of Raw. Off screen, Bobby Lashley took exception to that, saying he's the face of Raw because Rollins doesn't have any gold. Rollins said all of the MMA that Lashley's done has reduced his brain power. And while he wasn't initially thinking of Lashley's gold, he wanted a title match next week to determine the face of Raw. Lashley got in his face and Seth looked really worried. This was a really strong backstage segment. I loved the camera work with Lashley starting off screen almost as if he was walking by and overheard Rollins making that claim. The only way it would have been better is if they actually showed that. Like he's walking by going in another direction. Here's that turns around and says, what do you mean you're the face of Raw? That would have been better, but still doing it this way was good also. It's also a really solid match booking to promote next week. I'm sure Riddle is going to cost Rollins the title, um, but this was really good. It was really well done. Top face versus top heel next week on Raw. That's a winning combination. And these guys don't fight each other much. They've only fought four times since 2018, and two of those matches were disqualifications. So I'm definitely excited for this booking, and I just love the backstage segment. It shows that Rollins is going after gold. Riddle has a chance to get involved. Lashley looks super strong with anyone contending that he's not the face of the entire brand. And by the way, Lashley looked dapper as hell. The guy was wearing a vest, mm -hmm. a really nice white button-down shirt, glasses. I've never seen him in glasses before. He looked great. Rollins was great. And I'm very excited about booking next week. Yeah, very excited. I mean, I mean, that's a heck of a, I assume, main event to book a, a week out uh, for the next show. So love the interaction. It felt fresh. It felt different. Again, we don't see them together very often. 
it it made perfect sense why it's happening. And yeah, like that's, that's exactly what you want, those kinds of things. So uh, I, if we're grading that, that's definitely good. So yeah, we're definitely grading that. Uh, so there's uh, Edge and Dominic Mysterio had that scheduled match. There's a lot to talk about before we got to that though. Dom said during a taped promo in a blacked out room with multiple camera angles that he was only ever known as Ray's son until turning on Edge. And now he's going to finish what he started. Dom said it's too bad that Ray's disappointed because it's his life and he's done living under the large shadow that his dad casts. Rhea Ripley then whispered something in his ear. Dom said he's not a baby boy anymore, but a man. Ripley then smiled devilishly in the background. Uh, Ray later apologized, saying he didn't know Dom was holding all this inside, and Dom still had a chance to make it right by not fighting. Dom completely ignored him. Ripley then walked up telling Ray that Dom isn't his little boy anymore, and Poppy knows best, referring to her, which is so cool. Uh, Ray later begged Edge for one more chance to get through to Dom. Edge said, no, this needs to happen, and it's better that he does it than his own father doing it. Then he apologized in advance for theoretically destroying Dom. None of this was earth shattering by any means, but it was easily the best promo of Dom's career, the taped segment. And the stuff with Ray and Rhea was really strong. So this all, the build up to this match was good. Yeah, pu- putting Dominic in that situation, you know, pre-taped promo, not in front of a crowd, like that's a great way to start it. Everything he said, you know, kind of made sense. But I, honestly, what's most interesting here is the dynamic between him and, and Rhea. Like they just, it's its really interesting just kind of them working together, doing different things. Edge's explanation on why you did do things made sense. So yeah, look, I, I still, I still think the Judgment Day should have won at Clash of the Castle. But, you know, in terms of where it's going now, it's definitely good. Agree on both points there. Uh, Dom had solid entrance music. Edge dominated him early. Dom pleaded while calling him Uncle Edge, but he didn't buy it. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Ripley took out Edge's knee behind the referee's back. Dom hit three amigos to light booze. Ripley held his ankle to prevent a superplex with Dom hitting a frog splash for a near fall. Edge came back with execution, but Dom countered the spear into a half crab on the injured knee. Edge countered into an inside cradle, locked Dom in the ropes with his arms, and then beat on him uh, for two different five counts. He went to spear Dom in the ropes when Ray jumped in the ring to stop him. Priest then pulled Ray out of the ring and threw him over the announce table. As Balor runs down, looking like a no-limit soldier, he attacks Edge for the DQ in 15 minutes. Ripley slams Edge in the knee with a chair, and then Dom does it four more times before they put Edge's foot on a chair and had Balor hit coup de gras into the knee to end the segment. Uh, This was a disappointing match. There's no way around that. But I loved the heel faction finish. It is so refreshing that Triple H is getting behind them and creating a real stable that is just wreaking havoc and injuring people. Very Attitude Era-esque and far different from the actions of what we see from like all the three-person groups that we've had in WWE over the last five or 10 years. This is even different from how factions operate in AEW. They very rarely just go after someone to injure them and hurt them and eliminate them. If you have constant numbers advantages and your heels you're supposed to do stuff like this. You don't need to win all the matches, but you need to show your dominance. And they got to do that here. I also love how Balor is using the coup de gras now as a weapon and injuring people with it. It gets the move over. It's getting him over. And then you add his victories in the ring on top of that. And you have a nice package all together. Very, very smart. Again, the match was nothing special, but I liked the finish and the match story so much that I am giving it a good. Yeah, yes on the finish. This is what I said at the beginning, which was 
we need the judgment day to look strong and kind of be in a strong position. They are now coming out of this raw, but they have been before. Like we we've seen them, you know, beat down edge and do some other things before. And then it, they lose the next match. So like, I'm not like all in on it yet. When Dominic came out for his match, I couldn't help but wonder if they were waiting to turn Dominic once he grew his hair long enough <laughs> and that, that when it would be fully slicked back, he would look completely different because he does now, but he has been slowly growing that hair out, which I know the mullet is kind of a Gen Z style, but uh, I, I had wondered if what was kind of taking so long. So um, match was whatever. I like the beginning of it where Edge just like bull rushes them and it's just like, like you're, we're not messing around here, kid. Like I'm here to teach you a lesson. Right. I very much got that sense from the way Edge started out that match. Um, and, you know, the post match beat down. I it was fine. I was just like, I feel like I'm seeing Edge getting beat up every two months, and like I'm just like, is Edge out again now, or is he going to be gone for another two, three months because he's hurt? I feel like this is happening over and over. They, again every time he takes Edge. a break, they literally write him off with an injury, and it's just like, yeah. How about he just disappears one time? Like you don't yeah, have to write them I, off I every know. single time that it's just, that part felt repetitive. I like, I got what they were doing, but just in the context of what we'd seen over the last few months, I'm just like we're doing this again now. Okay. Okay. And um, like, also how I, long I, is I he going to be out? Again. Right. Cause you have to imagine he shows up for uh blood money in the sand crown jewel, which is not that far off. So like they injure his knee to keep him out for six weeks. Is that the angle that they're doing? Like, so yeah, it's not perfect. Yeah, but it, it was good. But yeah, I just wanted those, those are my notes on it. No, those are good notes. I agree. Uh, let's move over to the women for a segment here, or extended segment here. Uh, Raquel Rodriguez and Aaliyah fought Toxic Attraction on SmackDown in a non-title match. Toxic got a short promo explaining they got the match because it was set up for the tournament and they never actually got to do it. Aaliyah got singled out quickly after the bell. Rodriguez got the hot tag, hit the followaway slam, corkscrew elbow on Gigi Dolan. JC Jane tagged him. Aaliyah speared Gigi to kind of eliminate her out of the ring. And Raquel hit the Tahana bomb for the win in five minutes. If Toxic is going back to NXT, this was 100% fine. If they are a call-up, I'd much rather have seen them against a different women's tag team to let them get a win and start 2-0. It's nice that the titles are back, but divisions are real. When matches happen not involving championships, the champions, or the number one contendership. That's the next step for the women's tag team division. Because right now, the only time we see those matches in when, is when one of those three elements is involved. This was bad, mostly because it was short. It was mediocre. The match wasn't that good. And it was basically pointless at the end of the day. Agree on all counts. It was kind of a waste of time. And I don't know if Toxic Attraction is up or not, or what to think of them or not. They've kind of, you know, they had the injury. They've kind of just been up and down, up and down for the last couple of weeks. It's kind of weird. I get you want to get the champs a win. But um, yeah, no, nah, this is a bad. So over on Raw, we had the Women's Tag Team Championship, Aaliyah and Raquel Gonzalez defending against Damage Control. Backstage, Bailey called attention to Aaliyah pinning the wrong woman in the tournament final. So they did ultimately make that kayfabe, which I guess is yes. appreciated. Uh, Raquel pressed Aaliyah and threw her outside onto the challengers. Aaliyah later seemed to sell like a real injury. Uh, she was also singled out doing basically nothing for a very long stretch of the match. Rodriguez got a hot tag and dominated. Aaliyah tagged back in and got flipped over Raquel powerbomb style into Dakota Kai. Eosky flipped herself and Raquel over the top rope outside on a hurricanrana as Aaliyah tried a distracted roll-up on Dakota, but that failed. Aaliyah then hit a springboard X-Factor, but Bailey threw Kai's foot on the ropes. Raquel went to take out Bailey when Eo hit her with a moonsault. Dakota then caught Aaliyah with a flip-over backbreaker to win the titles 
in 12 minutes. There was a pyro celebration at the top of the ramp after the bell. I just thought, Chris, this was an extremely poor match in large part because Aaliyah cannot do anything of substance or anything worthwhile in the ring. We are we really try not to be haters on this podcast. I respect that wrestlers put their health and physical well-being on the line. And I know Aaliyah has been in the system for a long time, but it's just not working. She is not a main roster caliber talent. And every time she's in a match, it's not a good match unless she is completely hidden, which they had done earlier in that tournament when they were doing it. Uh, I will say the booking of the finish was strong because it protected Rodriguez. It got her out of the ring with EO and it allowed the focus to be on Aaliyah as the wink leak of the team, her taking the loss. The champions together, Aaliyah and Raquel, they were just not believable whatsoever and changing the titles was necessary. This continued triple, a Triple H trope that goes back to NXT and those women's tag team titles where he would crown a new champion and then change the title on the same show within a week or in this case, within a couple of weeks. If they were going to be champions so soon anyway, Damage Control, I don't see the purpose of giving the titles to Rodriguez and Aaliyah in the first place, unless they're going to be a long-term tag team. And if they are, then okay, then the tag team was established by them winning. But if they're doing that, that is a huge albatross to put on Raquel's neck, Aaliyah being the albatross. So I hope that's not the case. It would have been far more impactful in terms of building damage control to crown them as the champions of the tournament right off the bat. But they are champions now. The booking was fixed and that's appreciated. It was a poor match, but we saw something that was bad earlier when we just mentioned the tag team match on SmackDown. And I have something that I'm going to call ugly later. And in comparison to either of those, this was not bad or ugly. So I'm saying good because the booking was right. The title change was right. And they protected Raquel. But in the ring, did I like what I saw for 12 minutes? No, I would say nine minutes of that match were, I mean, beyond forgettable. They were just not good. Yeah, I just, I just couldn't help but think like, what's the point of this? Like, why did, like, why not just have damage control win before? Like you said, if if, if Aaliyah and Raquel are going to be a team, like, okay. And you're right. I have seen this a lot in NXT and I generally don't like it in, in NXT. So uh, yeah, I, I think I'm, the match was kind of what I, I think I'm giving this a bad just cause it was kind of, it made a lot of stuff feel pointless before and the match wasn't great. And like, I'm glad they won. They should be the champs in the end. It's just, it was a weird path to get there and it wasn't a great match. So what's your grade on this? Bad. Bad. Okay. And, uh, only other thing before we kind of move on a little bit. Is it just me or is something not quite hitting 100% with damage control? Like, I think we were all excited to see all three women back. But Dakota and Io, they seem like maybe they have a lot of ring rust or they're just not used to working together. They aren't really clicking as a team for me. And it just feels forced to a degree. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying I don't like it. I still like damage control. I like all three women. But it's not going as smoothly as I expected it would. I think, I think a big part of it is because we just saw them lose. And now they win. And it feels like a, 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 not a stop and start, but like a bump in the road that was unexpected and didn't need to happen for any reason. And we don't yet, you know, and then on this raw, which we'll get into, but we had an open challenge and it wasn't Bailey. And it's like, it, it, it's just kind of other things are happening in the way of damage control, I think. And it's been a little inconsistent. I still, I, I still like him and think it's good, 
overall what they're doing. But I feel like they've missed on a couple of spots where we didn't expect them to miss. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to really what we were talking about earlier with the women's booking. It's like it could be so much better. And it's just it hasn't been. And that's obviously an issue. Uh, so we'll get to the Bianca Belair stuff in a moment. I want to stay with SmackDown or, or I guess go back to SmackDown. Uh, we had a fatal five-way elimination match for the number one contendership for the SmackDown Women's Championship, which is currently held, of course, by Liv Morgan. So in that match were Ronda Rousey, Sonya Deville, Lacey Evans, Natalia, and Zia Lee. Before the match, Michael Cole announced that Rousey was disciplined internally for her actions last week because Adam Pierce took their dirty laundry public. Now, I saw some people on the IWC, Reddit, Twitter, saying this was a shot at AEW. Either it completely went over my head live <laughs> because it fits so perfectly within an active storyline, or people are insinuating something that wasn't there. AEW is having a third-party investigation, not necessarily an internal investigation. They haven't really said anything on the record about it either. So in the moment, it sounded to me just like a normal WWE storyline explanation. Yeah. However, yeah, when I listened to it back and I saw some of the comments people were making, I was like, maybe this was a shot at AEW. So I wanted to ask you off the bat, do you think it was a really well-played shot or is this just a coincidence? I think it's, I didn't think of it in the moment either, but hearing it back and comparing it, I think it's possible. I, I, I think it's possible. We had Kevin Owens kind of allude to it the previous week on, on Raw. You know, I, 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 I think it's possible. I mean, it was a written statement. It wasn't made by Triple H, obviously, like Tony Khan. But it was a written statement addressing something that happened, dirty laundry, aired public. Adam Pierce, theoretically, I guess, here in the CM Punk role, um, disciplined internally, but she was in the match, so she wasn't suspended like the AEW talents were. Fair play to WWE if it was on purpose, <laughs> because I actively look for that stuff. And I, like I said, didn't notice it until others pointed it out. Granted, it would be completely fair game given the shit show that was AEW last week and everything Tony Khan has said about WWE, not just historically, but recently, what he said in that literal press conference the tally would be like 500 to two all time if it was a shot. So if it was fair play to them and good job, uh, it went over my head initially, but others caught it. And if it wasn't, then man, that was coincidental. And it's even probably funnier if it was coincidental. So there you go. Let's get to the match. Uh, Lacey Evans came out. She returned, first of all, and came out in new gear. Rousey wore a pink judo gi to honor someone who passed away. Liv watched from a suite and got a pretty good pop from the suite. She was like drinking a soda and hanging out, relaxed with her titles, her title, I should say. I did but think you call it, was, it soda? You call it soda? It's not pop. Yeah, I'm, it's soda. I'm a pop person. I'm from the Midwest. It's a pop thing. Yeah, I mean, it's soda. I don't even right. I don't even know how else to. Like, it's called, I live in Texas. Like now. back in the day. It's all, like, it's all Coke here. It's weird. Well, it's like when this, all, when this stuff all came out, right? Like you used to go to a soda jerk to pour it for you, not a pop jerk. Right? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm not, soda. I'm not, I didn't live in the 50s, but yeah. No, but I mean, that's when it started, right? Like it was invented back in the day. I don't know. I wasn't alive back then. I'm saying when it's it, called, so it's called soda pop. It is called soda pop. That is correct. But what's the first word? Soda. And 
I mean, the people that served just, it used to be called I, soda I, I, jerks, I just not pop to, jerks. I just what I'm trying to say. I just want to know what our, our geographic linguistic differences here. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I know that many people call it pop. It's it's just incorrect. But. It, it's Coke in here in Texas. I can't get behind that one. So. It's what? Everything's Coke? It's so all, like a Sprite everything is Coke? Everything is Coke in Texas. Yes. Yeah, so you, you, you're like, Coke. hey, can I get a Coke? What type? Sprite? Yes. Yes. Really? That's terrible. I, yeah. I've not gotten I've not gotten into that one yet. All right, that's. I think we can both agree at least we can come <laughs> to a middle. That's unacceptable. Yes. In, in every possible way. Um, I was actually speaking to someone, speaking of soda in Texas, the show's going long. I don't really care. Um, apparently, so Bucky's has like a crazy soda selection, right? Yes. I've been to Bucky's three times and in there's a couple in North Florida. Somehow, I guess the place is so crazy and so large. I didn't even notice it, but uh, someone sent me pictures of it and it is the soda selection in particular is absurd. You can get a gallon for like a nickel. It's insane. That's great. Of course, in Texas, right? Where else would that happen? Yes. Anyway, to get back to this, um, it was odd, I thought, to have four heels and one face in a fatal five-way, just to start. Uh, Lacey caught Natty with the women's right, but she didn't cover her. Rousey made Natty submit with the armbar in one minute, like one minute into the match. She then did the same to Lacey. As Sonya simultaneously tapped out Zia Lee, that's two minutes into the match, they squared off MMA style. DeVille countered Piper's pit with a chokehold until Rousey rolled outside on her back and slammed her into the barricade. Rousey then hit Piper's pit and decided on an ankle lock instead of an armbar as the bell rang in four minutes. Chris, this was atrocious, okay? How the fuck do you book a regular fatal five-way, let alone an elimination fatal five-way to end in four minutes? That's a fall a minute. This was worse than that elimination chamber match with Shayna Baszler, because at least there, there was like an anticipation element to the door opening, seeing if anyone could stop her or if she was just going to run through them. This made the rest of the women's division, at least the SmackDown women's division, look like absolute shit. An elimination or a gauntlet should be like 15 or 20 minutes. And the result of this, Rousey getting another title match that she's either going to win to take the title off Liv or perhaps get screwed by Adam Pierce if there's some type of stipulation like a, you know, she can get hit by a chair or whatever the case might be. So either Liv loses the title or she gets an excused win that hurts her even more as a babyface. It's a lose-lose situation. This title and the entire women's division in WWE right now, like I said, has been the most problematic area of Triple H's booking to this point. And this segment was hopefully rock bottom to the entire thing. It's getting worse and worse by the week. And this was straight up ugly. This is for crap. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Completely agree. I was very shocked at the way the entire thing played out. And so quickly, it was nice to see Lacey Evans back. It was nice to see some people that we hadn't seen much. And then it was done. <laughs> Just like that. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, giving it an ugly as well. I unrelated kind of, I did like Rhonda's outfit. I realized how much I don't like her just wearing me all black all the time. It's weird. Yeah. Um, but can she ever get shorts that fit? <laughs> I, I mean, she is always having to adjust throughout the match. Just constantly. Chris, this goes tracking. back. Chris, this goes back to UFC. I mean, this okay, it's yeah. always, it's always Ronda Rousey doing this. I, maybe, I maybe, it's just it a, maybe it's a tick. Maybe it's just a thing. Maybe I think it is. You know, maybe, I, I don't know, but it was just, it's, it's always noticeable, but I actually liked her outfit that she had and it looked different, but yeah, now we got Ronda live and 
I mean, honestly, at this point, I feel like Ronda needs to win. I and guess I, just, I don't know where any I don't know where anybody goes from there. We'll get into it more later when you know when the match comes up, but uh, just very strange. It, it really just is, and and I was actually pissed off that like Shotzi wasn't in this match when Shotzi should be one of the women at the forefront of the division. But then I saw how the match played out, and I was like, you know what? Kind of happy Shotzi wasn't in it. I don't want her losing in one minute to Ronda Rousey. It's freaking ridiculous, you know? Uh, so mm-hmm. moving from this, Baszler, uh, Shayna Baszler backstage, dapped up Rousey for the win, and she wished her luck. Rousey appreciated it, but said the only thing better than winning is revenge, and she's ready whenever Baszler wants to break some bones again. This is what Rousey should be doing. Moving away from the main title picture and focusing on becoming a tag team with Baszler. Something different for a change. Why not put Shotzi in this match have it be a real elimination match. Let her win after 10, 11, 12 minutes and put her over as a number one contender that Liv can beat while defending the title at, guess what? Extreme rules. What does Shotzi love doing? Extreme rules matches, street fights, all that type of stuff with weapons. It was the perfect possible thing. And then you have Rousey here with Shayna Baszler developing as a tag team and maybe eventually going after the women's tag team titles. Something different. I would love to see these two go on a rampage of all the women's teams and maybe take the titles at like the Royal Rumble or something like that. That is how you elevate a division by creating a real team with a big star. They did it with Sasha Banks. They've done it a couple times. They did it with Naomi. And of course, Bailey, both of them were stars, although Sasha's a bigger star. They have a chance to do it again right now with Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. It will elevate Baszler. It would put Rousey in a great position Instead, Rousey's challenging for the title for absolutely no reason, the singles title, but yet they're still doing this part of the storyline. So while I hated everything about that match and about Rousey becoming number one contender again, I actually loved this. This was good. Yeah. And it was in direct contrast to the matchbook. I agree. Like, I like what they've been doing with Ronda for the past month, essentially, but it's all going toward apparently another title match. And that's, that's disappointing. And now flipping back to Raw, staying with the women, Bianca Belair, as you mentioned, issued an open challenge for her Raw Women's Championship. Selena Deville answered, and the crowd went mild. Literally zero reaction to this. You could have heard a pin drop. Uh, Deville claimed Belair was responsible for her losing her job. She kept rambling on. So Belair said, hey, don't forget, this is an open challenge, not an open mic. I actually thought it was a pretty good line for her. So we had the Raw Women's Championship, Belair against Deville. Belair hit her handspring moonsault. Then nothing happened for a long time. Belair uh, tried the glam slam, but Deville countered it into a pinning combination and hit a really awkward flying knee. Belair used the turnbuckles to flip out of a chokehold and hit the KOD to win in 11 minutes. This is a really tough grade, right? Like Sonya answering the open challenge was uninspired, especially given she just lost a number one contendership and got squashed doing it. The match also wasn't notable. It made me think at times like, man, maybe Deville should just be moved to a permanent manager or authority role. But on the other hand, they got time. Belair got a win back that she needed. And the finish to the match was really strong. So this is one of those very light goods. Um, but when you compared it to the other women's matches this week, it was actually the best out of all of them. So I am going to go ahead and say good here. I was going to say bad. Like, I appreciated the effort, but it was ultimately pointless. And I didn't like that Sony was the one to do the open challenge. Like it made no it, sense. It, yeah. It, it made no sense. Yeah. Bailey cut a promo on Belair pretty short after the match saying damage control promised to take over and started doing just that on raw by winning the women's tag team titles. 
She said beating DeVille helped feed Belair's ego, but she clearly wants to fight Bailey, who pinned her despite not wrestling in over a year. Then, without Belair realizing it at all, Damage Control surrounded the ring and attacked her three-on-one. Asuka and Alexa Bliss made the save, and the faces got up on Bailey in similar fashion as Belair hit a spinebuster to end it all. This felt repetitive, given we've already had a women's six-man or six-person uh, tag team match, but there was nothing wrong with it either. It just didn't get me particularly excited for the feud. It didn't get me more excited for the feud. But I thought Bailey's promo was good. Again, this is very similar to the match. Good, but not really that good. Yeah, like Bailey's promo was great. I just correct me if I missed it. Like she didn't explain why she didn't take the open challenge, right? No, I think she just kind of felt like Belair already wanted to fight her, so she didn't need to. She can get a title match whenever she wants. That's what she but, mentioned last week. She's I, like, yeah. Belair's like, let's go now, and ba- Bailey's like, I'll fight you when I'm ready. So why yeah, should she be rushed into it on Raw? That's probably why. Yeah, but you knew the open challenge was coming. She should have, like, they've done open challenges and explained why certain people weren't there to do it. I'm just like, let's just get to Bailey Bianca. Like, well, they're going to say for like the pay per view, obviously. I know, but just like, they're not quite one on one feuding it. We've got six women matches. We've got Sonya involved. I'm just like, we got to start this build here. I don't even know what day is Extreme Rules. I, I haven't even. Oh, it's probably a Saturday, game. which is going to kill me, but yeah. I, I believe it is a Saturday, but it's like, this month? It's in September. I it's think, October right? 8th. No, it's, it's we got we got time. October 8th. Okay. Yeah. But like I just again what I said before, just it feels like Bianca's just been spinning her wheels for a long time now. And I think I'm just kind of antsy for her to get into something that's her and Bailey. And instead it still feels like factional feuding or multi-person feuding, which I get because she's in a division because she's in a thing. But like mm-hmm. we've seen Drew McIntyre take on a faction. We we just saw Edge get beat up by a faction. Like mm-hmm. we can just do Bianca versus Damage Control. Like I just I well, know. I mean, I she needed someone to get her back. Happened. If she's going to get attacked three on one, she does have she does need people to get her back. But it's like we already saw that. You know, it's just it's just right. frustrating it's, that it's it, felt just, it feels repetitive yeah. in that way. Yeah. Um, get, so I still give it a like good though. But yeah. So Extreme Rules is October eighth, which is a Saturday, and that's five weeks after Clash of the Castle though. So that's why things are kind of like, uh, come on, like let's get to it. You know, fair play when it comes to that, but they do need to get the move on with all. Th- we talked about it on the show. We're not going to repeat ourselves. The women's booking, it in some ways is okay, but it is not at the level that we expect from WWE, let alone Triple H. It needs to get better across the board, both singles divisions on SmackDown and Raw and the women's tag team title picture. It has to feel important. It has to feel like it means something. And even right now, we have new champions, the women's tag team champions. And you can't say this is the team that is going to be the next one in line. And that's because none of those other teams that were in the tournament have had any other matches on TV not involving either the champions or a number one contendership. And it's just a problem across all three, uh, across both shows, all three divisions. Uh, we've got a couple more things to wrap up here. On SmackDown, the Brawlin' Brutes fought Imperium in a six-man tag team match. Giovanni Vinci joined Imperium during Clash of the Castle for a moment I actually thought they gave them Symphony Number no. 9 back because they were Imperium. Instead, it's now the intro with Gunther's theme kind of coming after it. I'd rather one or the other. I don't like the splicing of the two. I thought it was very odd to do that. I, I will say, like, I, I, when that hit, when the beginning hit, I popped because right. I was like, I said this last week on the podcast. <laughs> I was like, I want the old Imperium thing back, Symphony Number no. 9. I was like, it works so much better. Imagine if we got that at Clash of the Castle. And then I hear the beginning. I was like, oh my God, they're doing it. And then they didn't. And I was like, oh. 
And it was also like an abrupt cutoff. It wasn't even a transition. It just, yeah, it was very strange. Maybe they did it to kind of just one time only to say, hey, this is Imperium, don't forget. And then play Gunther's theme. We'll find out next time they make an entrance. But it popped me and I was like, oh, you teased me with that. Like, I know. I, didn't like, really. I know it's like, I know it's like, you know, public music. It's not WWE specific. It can't music, be that expensive. Like, it, it, it can't be. I'm sure it's it's got to be in the public domain by now. That thing's hundreds of years old. So yeah. uh, I was just like, it, it's such a good theme for them. Like it just works with Imperium and I just, I miss it. I, I think Gunther's theme, by the way, is great. I really do. So his is really, really good, but don't, the splicing of it, especially very haphazardly, the way they did it, it it made both worse. So pick one or the other, go with it. That's how I feel. I love Symphony Number no. 9, but if I'm only getting three seconds of it, just give me Gunther's theme. It's menacing. It's pretty cool. Let's stick to that. Uh, Sheamus and Gunther got into the ring. SmackDown immediately went to commercial break. Then we come back. Both are out of the ring. Butch got a hot tag, and then it went to commercial again. There was a loud We Want Sheamus chant and a huge pop on his hot tag which was so freaking cool to see Sheamus at like whatever he is, 44, 45, getting huge baby face pops, Randy Orton style at this age. Uh, Sheamus did not 10, but 25 beats on Ludwig Kaiser. Then he did white noise into Vinci on the canvas. So like a double move. Vinci took the bro kick for Kaiser, the legal man. Gunther and Sheamus brawled. And then all six men started brawling. Vinci hit Butch with a midair catch brain buster, then tagged blind for an Imperial bomb for the win in like 20 minutes. This was a brilliant six-man tag team match. It felt like something that could have and perhaps should have been on a pay-per-view. Maybe they're going to rematch it at Extreme Rules with the stipulation. We'll find out. The only way this could have been better is if we got to see the whole thing. Because as you can tell, I was really frustrated by that. It was definitely good with the right winners. What I said about Vinci on the instant analysis for Clash of the Castle, it appears to be true. He's reverted back into his charisma-less character. I did see him smile at one point. It works for Imperium. It's not the best thing for him individually. This was tremendous. This, like I said, this was a pay-per-view type of match, and it was it was awesome to see it. It was just very frustrating that, yeah, like they hyped up the Gunther-Sheamus match and how great it was, and then we get them tagged into the ring together, crowd stands up, and then you go to commercial. Immediately. It's like, no, yeah. what, what are you doing? What are you doing there? Um, uh, also, I don't know if this was the first time, but Butch being back in his singlet. Second time. And not the... Not the newsy newsboy look. Um, so that's it's good to see. I, I've said this before about Pete Dunne and other wrestlers, but I I hate the finger breaking move hmm. because to me that that I can't suspend my disbelief on that. Like you're literally breaking the guy's finger. They should be out for weeks or have a splint or do these things. And like it, it to me, it's it's too realistic of a thing to not be impacting well, somebody later on. It's it, not it's like it's a little it's not necessarily it's a little thing breaking. I know, but it's always bothered me. It's not necessarily finger breaking. It's joint manipulation. So it's 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 injuring the joints and ligaments in the hand so that they can't grip you. So it's in some cases, yeah, it's it's when they do it in certain ways, but when they when he bends the fingers back or he pulls them apart, it's not to break the fingers. It's to injure the joints and right. ligaments. That way you can't grip them or you can't do this move or that move. So you're right though. It it, it always has bothered me because it sounds like it's breaking, right? So yeah. if that's what you're doing, then the people who get it done to them, whether it's broken or whether it's joint manipulation, they need to sell it and they frequently don't. That's the biggest problem with it to me. Not so much yeah. doing it, yeah. but it's the selling of it. 
yeah, that that's all. But this was this was a great match. Really enjoyed it, and I'd love to see this again, like on a pay per view, and getting to see the whole thing. Yeah, these six with some type of stipulation. I would love I would love a six man elimination match. Actually, I think that would be pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. Or a six man tag that's an elimination, like almost a mini Survivor Series. That could be pretty cool. Uh, to on your note, uh, Pete Dunn or, or Butch, I should say, went back to the singlet um, in the singles match with Ludwig Kaiser right before Clash of the Castle. So it's the second time that we've seen him in it. And as I've said before, you don't have to call him Pete Dunn. Call him Butch Dunn and it works. It's better. Everyone's happy. Whatever. Also, I had one more cool side note before we move on. Everyone in this match was European. United Kingdom, Ireland, Austria, Germany, and Italy. I think Cole remarked that Vinci is the second Italian ever in WWE. I presume Santino Morella, right? Was the other one? Yeah, yeah. So I just found that interesting and pretty cool that everyone there was European. That's cool. Uh, The Miz was dressed up in a suit in his house for a sit-down interview before a premiere that he and Maurice were attending. Maurice and their kids interrupted. The kids were having fun with him. Maurice was talking to him before the interview started with Maurice reassuring Miz that he, quote unquote, uh, would never make it past their security and into the house and that they could still go to the premiere safely. The interviewer said Dexter Loomis twice that got Miz really angry and he still refused to share details. Then he ended the interview and as he ended it and was walking out of the room, Loomis's face appeared in one of the windows behind him. They jumped into, I think it was a G-Wagon and drove off. And then when the camera panned back to the house, Loomis was inside the house drawing and he held up a caricature of Ms. Maurice and their kids. This was such a cool way, Chris, to flip the home invasion angle on its head. Usually Mm -hmm. someone gets confronted or attacked or they feel threatened. We saw it with Seth Rollins and Edge where he went into his house, obviously. Stone Cold Steve Austin and Brian Pillman back in the day. Here, they had no idea he was ever there and they're not going to know he was there until they get back home after the premiere. Really good storytelling and extremely well executed. I'm a big fan of take it outside the ring, take it outside the building and give me vignettes. And Triple H loved to do this with NXT 2.0, NXT and NXT 2.0. Jeremy Borash is the guy who does it with NXT all the time. I, 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 that was one of my favorite parts of NXT always was that there was a world outside the ring mm-hmm. and this was a great way to do that. I love the concept of the premiere, the kids, like all that stuff. Like um, I know last week, I think I was just kind of like, why is this Loomis thing still going on? Where is it going to what exactly? But this was super creative and entertaining. So definitely a good. Also, look, let's just be candid. Anytime we get Maurice in a black dress on TV. It's a worthwhile segment. Uh, the Street yes. Profits and Hit Row fought Maximum Male Models and Los Lotharios. This was on SmackDown. Uh, Angelo Dawkins got an incredible hot tag with a Tope Con Hero. Top Dollar teased the crowd that he was going to do a Tope also when Maxine Dupree jumped on the ring apron to stand in his way. He caught Mansois flying off the top rope with Hit Row delivering heavy hitter for the win in eight minutes. The crowd absolutely loved this, and it all made sense to me. Hit Row started cold. WWE gave them the rub from the Street Profits. I thought Strowman was going to destroy all of them here, so I'm glad that didn't actually happen like it did on Raw. It's never surprising when a Profits match is enjoyable, but I didn't think this eight-man with these teams would be so good. I repeat, Maximum Male Models is getting over. The single-finger tags, the catwalk uh, (laughs) offense, it's just so freaking good. It's campy, it's ridiculous, it's Zoolander adjacent, it works. I love Maximum Male Models. Completely. And I'm, I'm glad Max Dupree's back and involved in all that. Um, nothing more to say about the match other than unrelated to this, but it's about Top Dollar. 
during Monday Night Raw, there were they played a Sunday Night Football commercial that used cult of personality, <laughs> and and uh, Top Dollar tweeted that he ran from the kitchen to his screen because he <laughs> didn't know what was going on, um, which I thought was funny. But uh, I, I know a lot of other people noticed that going on during Raw. Not really relevant that, but it included Top Dollar, so I just wanted to. Well, what's funny? What's funny is on my personal Twitter account um, during the Packers game uh, this past Sunday, uh, Rogers was really, really pissed off. Aaron Rodgers, that is. Um, he basically not only does he not have his great receivers that he had previously. Dante uh, Devonte Adams went to the um, uh, Las Vegas uh, Raiders, and uh, Scantling went somewhere else. I forget where he went. But long story short, Rodgers doesn't have his receivers anymore. He has a bunch of basically no-name guys, and Alan Lazard, and Alan Lazard was injured and not playing. So Rodgers was frustrated. He was angry. And you could tell, like, this is the type of guy, and we've known it about Rodgers in the past, who's going to go off on a tangent in his post-game press conference. So I tweeted a GIF of CM Punk saying, hey, here's a preview of Rodgers. So I tweeted that out. It got, you know, shared, heavily shared. And then someone with a more popular Twitter account basically tweeted out the same thing about an hour later, and that got shared everywhere. And then I'm watching Sunday Night Football and I see the CM Punk or not CM Punk, a cult of personality play as they're talking about how Aaron Rodgers is divisive and you either love him or you hate him and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm not I'm not going Barry Horowitz and I'm saying that I started the entire thing. But I will say on Sunday, I tweeted it. I didn't see anyone else tweet it for like two hours. I happen to believe that person took it from me. And then NBC made it part of their uh, promo package for Sunday Night Football. So I'm not saying it, but I'm kind of saying it. I just want to put that Look, in. I, I'm old and I'm tired and I work with children is, is a great meme potential there. And I think it that is. was the most important thing that came out of that press uh, conference. One other important thing, Chris, uh, speaking of maximum male models, I want to play for you uh, a WWE, they call it a digital exclusive, a social media um, promo or, or segment that happened that we didn't see on TV. And I want to hear what you think of uh, what Max Dupree had to say here. We just cannot let this happen again. Gentlemen, you have to pick those chins up, lift those chiseled chins. I've been here before, unfortunately, a couple too many times. And in that process, I have learned you have to go through the... You have to go through the day to get to the night. (laughs) Yeah. How about that, dude? It's coming back, man. How about that? It's coming back. The name that we all loved and and enjoyed. (sighs) Name I Uh, hate, character that grew on me, is what I will say. Yes. But he gives That was was a nice little... Wait, what what, what didn't come across in audio? Is he like paused and like turned his head and he's like thinking about it. Then he says day into the... He pauses and says night. And then under his breath, he's like, yeah, as he walks out. So (laughs) very cool tease. I wish it was on TV. Yeah. Look, Eli... Eli Drake, whatever his name is, L.A. Knight in NXT. He's just he's very entertaining, very charismatic. I I, I enjoy him as a as a character. Um, I don't really know how you'll explain Max Dupree, L.A. Knight. Look, L.A. Knight's not a real name. Maybe he's just going to take on the name L.A. Knight. I don't know. But look, it's another thing involving maximum models that I'm interested in. And that's a credit to a low card. Well, no, I'll tell you how you explain it. It's a stage name. That's how you explain it. There you go. That works. And last year on Raw, we had Omas against two jobbers. There was some technical issue during the entrance. The whole broadcast got cut for like 30 seconds. Omas squashed both guys in the corner and put one guy in a Cobra clutch for a few moments. Then he missed two big boots, one on each guy, and hit two towering choke bombs. MVP demanded a stack and pin, and that's what Omas did. 
for the win in two minutes. I have never cared about Omas less than I do now. And the disparity in ability and athleticism between him and Strowman, it is drastic. Give me Mustafa Ali. Give me Cedric Alexander. Give me Dolph Ziggler. Hell, R-Truth and Shelton Benjamin. Stop wasting time with this go-nowhere act. I am done with Omas. This was bad. This was ugly. I mean, we're going back to Omas versus Jobbers here. Like, that's just, it's doing nothing. It's a complete waste of everybody's time. I'm not out on Omas. I really you can't because you defended it, him. It hasn't when it hasn't worked out, but I still I'm I'm I still believe in his potential. You have they to stay with it. Yep. Haven't they haven't pulled it out? I do hope we get Strowman Omas just once. Well, you because, do that. This is what you do is you book that if you're firing Omas. You have Strowman beat him, and then he is worthless. Or you're you're sending him away to NXT or whatever or for something months, like that. and you right. completely repackage him. Yeah, but right. like. I do want to see that now that we have these two guys here. All right. Well, that was it for this week's edition, WWE edition, that is, of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We did go longer, way longer, actually, than Chris and I expected. But I guess that main event that wasn't really did turn into a pretty decent conversation on a number of different topics. As always, Chris and I appreciate all of you listening, all of you writing us, sending your DMs and and comments and tweets. I know we didn't get to read any on today's show. Don't worry. We just had lot to get through. We wanted to make sure we got through it. Still DM us and tweet us your questions and comments. We will get them on the show. Obviously, our next episode is coming up Thursday, talking AEW and NXT. And then one week from now, we will be back. Same bat time, same bat channel with the next WWE edition. Between now and then, let me remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is So leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us. The ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The reviews, all you can really do is Apple Podcasts. But if you write them, as you heard earlier, we will read them right here on the show. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. That is it for today. For Vintage Chris Manini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.